You're listening to episode 173 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Hear me out. What if the emblem on Batman's chest was made from the gun that killed his parents? Damn, like he smelted that metal down to make that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, uh, I smelt it. That would take a lot of... <laughs> Dealt it. Whoa, wait, Tyler, does that mean Batman killed his own parents? Whoa. I was thinking about, like, dealing out vengeance, actually, but oh, sure, okay. sure, right. we can go there. Can go yes, he took revenge on his parents for taking to see Zorro. Dude, that sounds like that sounds like the plot of like a bad early 2000s like ashamed to be a superhero movie. Like imagine it was a Batman movie and then you find out halfway through he, he's like, oh, "It was me. I took the gun and shot my own parents." <laughs> there was no Joe Chill. How, yeah, he is Joe Chill. How do you no. make Batman even grittier? That's how. Batman I mean, has no chill. <laughs> <laughs> If my parents t- took me to see one of those Antonio Banderas horror movies too, I might kill them. So. <laughs> they say, I'm seven years old. I want to sit through this shit. Bruce, we're going to go see the new Antonio Banderas movie. Oh, is it Puss in Boots? No. No. Oh, he nope. took him out back and shot That him. actually, wait, wait. So. <laughs> I like to imagine that it's like he, he had already been like taking karate lessons or whatever, right? So karate. so Joe Chill comes out. He chops him in the neck, <laughs> takes the gun, shoots his own parents. <laughs> Guys, hold on. So with Robert Pattinson's age, it's probably likely that he saw the 1998 version of Zorro with Antonio Banderas. Oh, Jesus. You're right. That's true. That's why he's going to be so gritty, like he said. Inspired by. <laughs> Raw. <laughs> Wait, Tyler, are you suggesting that Robert Pattinson killed his parents? Yes, because that movie's hard. <laughs> Force me to do Twilight, will you? <laughs> wow. They drove him to it. Yeah, clearly. So, thank you guys very much for joining us on this episode of The Comics Pals. We are joined by... Tyler Olson of the Long Box. I think we can still say uh, that. What? <laughs> the, the artist yeah, the, formerly the, the known as the co-host there, yeah. of the Long Box. <laughs> Brother of the Olson twins. Uh, yep. 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 I'm I'm a I'm Elizabeth's twin actually. Yeah. Dude, I would really love yeah. that. Didn't really work out for me. She's doing much better than me. <laughs> Uh, you two of them are fashion us. designers, one's a famous actress, and then there's a podcaster. <laughs> I've tried out for the role of Wonder Man multiple times, but... <laughs> they just won't give it to me. Not working out for me. Right Tyler's like uh, that Rob Kardashian who like can't get it together. <laughs> <laughs> I also gained weight. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Whose guns do I have to smell to be Wonder Man here? <laughs> Oh man, I would kill to be Wonder Man. Be such a good role. Not the Olsen twins. A... Uh, no, no, no. That's the thing. You guys could be the new Olsen twins, but we—I've talked to her about it. You know, she doesn't return my calls. Um, Damn. The Olsen twins is the Wonder Twins. It makes well, a lot of she sense. Keeps, she keeps telling me, "I don't know you. Our last names are spelled differently," and I'm like, "Liz, come on." <laughs> We grew up in the same house. We were in the womb together, even though we're different ages. <laughs> the restraining order says otherwise. 
<laughs> You're going to tell me that blood isn't thicker than a restraining order? <laughs> <laughs> On the restraining order, it just says, no more Tyler. And I'm like, what's that about? <laughs> <laughs> I think I might be the only one who got that. That's a House of M reference, Wanda. I got it, dude. Boom. I'm keeping it topical because I know this is a comic book show. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Well. Uh, we sure have started off with a bang. Hopefully, you guys enjoy the comedy stylings of the comics, pals. If you do, <laughs> there are plenty of ways that you can reach out and let us know. If you want us on a different podcast hosting platform than the one you're currently on, you can look us up at the Comics Pals on Google or whatever. If we're not, are you guys on Zoom? Zoom? I don't know, <laughs> yeah. Marco. Are we? Oh, well, I mean, uh, if no, you- but we can be. Uh oh. I'll I think it. I don't know if Zune is even a thing. No, well, no not. <laughs> the way you would get us on your Zune is you'd have to go and download us off of our SoundCloud and then load it onto your crappy Zune via USB cable. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I had a Zune, baby. You would have yeah, had a Zune. Totally. You Matt, are such Matt a Zune also had kid. a Zune. <laughs> that also makes sense. Yep. Yep. Bad company. I busted his. I busted his balls about having a Zune for. Decades. <laughs> We're doing it right now. Yeah. Uh, you can also reach out to us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals gmail.com. If you're on YouTube, hello. Make sure that you guys Hi. drop us a like, leave us a comment, share the video with your friends if you enjoy this, and subscribe to our channel if you want more of our content. Make sure you hit the notification bell so you're made aware whenever we drop new content. Uh, and join our Discord. We have a lot of fun over there on the Discord server. Uh, we actually have some questions that we're going to be getting to in a little bit that come from the Discord server. We would love to have you on board. It's a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, you're going to want to be a part of it because we do take requests for book clubs. You're going to see that reflected in some of the upcoming book clubs that we do. And then also we're going to get gearing up on giveaways as well if you want to be a part of that and, you know, get some uh, – get some of the books we're we're moving uh not our own books uh we're not hawking kale's books right now um <laughs> you know good comics marvel comics oh man just a little bit of a jab it's okay he'll lift uh Toilet so paper. I, was gonna, I was gonna pull out one of kale's books on my shelf real quick <laughs> wait you have one yeah i do actually yeah one Let's of the see. look at the, look at this Monster mashup. Kale has a story in this. Wow. Oh. Right. Good yeah. job, Kale. You're one of two people that own that. Him and you. Not his wife, even. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did learn last let's, week. Let's that be real. Jess bought the copy. We did learn last week. Oh, that's... Oh. <laughs> oh, I heard the story last you week. You know he's going to edit this? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are done professionally. You started it. I, okay, I didn't... Well, I already kissed ass, so I'm good. <laughs> At least you guys were joking. (laughs) (laughs) So, Tyler. Stop picking on him. Yes. uh, Life has recently changed a little bit for you. Uh, Yeah, a little bit. We were were friendly rivals. We were were brother, uh, young little brother and and bigger brother. You guys were the bigger brother. You got more episodes under your belt. Uh, But, uh, yeah, things have changed. Why don't you talk to the people about what's going on? Well, I have uh, weekends off now going, going <laughs> forward. Uh, no, so um, I think it started way back in 
like October or so. Like Matt and I were talking about the Long Box podcast and what we wanted to do. You know, honestly, like both of us were a little burnt out. Mostly Matt in terms of the weekly grind, mm. um, which I get. I mean, for our show, we read, what, 20 books a week? Wow. Within like Wednesday to Friday because we record Friday nights. That's insane. So we'd pick 10 out of the 20 that we'd want. But, like November came around. We're like, man, I can't even find anything to read. Like in terms of like to get to 10 books, you know, comfortably that I want to read. I'm excited to read. Um, so that's why we changed the show format a bit so we can do more collections and stuff, which we did, I think, uh, what was it? I always forget the Dark Knight Strikes Again. We did an episode on that, which I think was like a fantastic episode. Um, I had a lot of fun doing that, even though the book itself, debatable. Great book. Um, but I, I think it's great. It's also a, a, a great peek into the mindset of Frank Miller at the time. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> but then after we did that, I went on vacation for a week. Uh, I got engaged. Congrats. And Congrats. then, thank you, thank you. And then uh, yeah, we came back, and then we were like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I don't want to do anything. And I'm like, you know what? I agree. <laughs> so we just we just ended it there. We figured we had a good episode. Uh, besides that Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer episode, which was a slog to get through. <laughs> um, but I think our last like comic book episode was a really good episode, so we figured, all right, we'll go out on a high note, and it might come back. We might do the show again, but it probably won't be for a while. I think we're just kind of chilling now, and it's weird. Like I've enjoyed books a little more now that I don't have to read it on a timer, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, um, I can actually uh, sit down. I started One Piece, which was like I didn't have time for before. So. Right? Yeah. So you can just read for pleasure now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we couldn't do an episode on One Piece. Like, it's, I mean, we could, but it just wouldn't fit our format at the time. So, um, yeah. I'll probably podcast again soon. You are today. It, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're back. No, but I, I have plans for, like, a different kind of show that I kind of want to play with the format a bit. But uh, I'm just giving myself some time off um, to kind of just chill. Fair enough. Do nothing. Look at wedding venues, which is... Oof. <laughs> you feel me marco yeah right. I, I feel um that. yeah but now i could just mooch off your show and bug you guys when you need me yeah and mooch you shall <laughs> <laughs> well you always are welcome here uh as is matt of course but i gather that matt's kind of uh really just did you see a, did you see a sweet the other day he was like yeah. uh, i will never podcast yeah. again <laughs> Dude, oh my god! Did you see the? Did you see what I replied with? No, no, no! It was I didn't. just that gif of Michael Jordan crying, <laughs> and he's just pouring out a forty. So, so Matt, Matt only—he's uh, like, oh. like a Sith. He only deals in absolutes. So, <laughs> yeah, um, who knows? Who knows if he'll actually do that again? But um, right now, he is fully retired. Well, what um, a career! <laughs> <laughs> that stuff's still on the internet he, you can still that won't leave anytime soon so that'll still haunt him yeah so hopefully you guys uh go and check the, the now backlog of the long box lots of really great content over there uh if you could shout out just one episode tyler for the people to go listen oh to. shit what yo episode um, 116 which one's that uh i forget but i listened Jesus. back to that one <laughs> Do we even do that, that for this show? Hold, hold on, right? 116. Like, hold on, I'm looking this. He was right there. Like, Marco, what's the best episode of our show? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so it's weird. Like the ones that are like most listened to are like our Frozen Two episode is the most listened to episode. Yeah, apparently <laughs> in South Korea. Oh, um, big fans. So there's like it's like weird ones. Um, our PizzaGate episode did really well. Wonder why. Huh. Um, uh, what else? What's, I'm looking at 116. Oh, right it was now. 117. Batawang. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was oh, the one with okay. uh, Bruce Wayne's penis. And, um, and then 100's good. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of, I like the end of year episodes that we've done because they're a marathon. And I think the end of year one we did last year was pretty good. Um, I just had a lot of fun with that. And it was like two hours long. And by the end of it, we were just delusional. It was um, two hours long. So it was like it was, half as long as an episode of the comics pals. There we go. I wasn't going to make it, but you did it. Okay. Um, yeah, but it was, it was, it was like, we were talking about like movies and shit and stuff that we don't normally talk about in the show, which was nice. So that's probably what I'd recommend. Awesome. If you want to get Tyler's takes on comics and pop culture outside of the long box, you can do so by following him at uh, the Tyler Olson. That's T Y L E R O L S O N, not E N, like Elizabeth keeps saying. So, <laughs> also what an asshole. Seriously, she doesn't know how to spell her own name. <laughs> I don't want to speak for Sean or anything, uh, but I feel but like you, you should take that. Tyler's takes there. Take that to the bank. He just gave you a free name. That's great. Uh, He's not going to be doing that. It's not free, <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you are not my it's, pimp. It's, mm, <laughs> mm. You know what? I might give Tyler a follow. Oh, oh wow. wow. <laughs> my first honor. one all year. <laughs> uh, Tyler's going to hang out with us for the rest of the episode, and we're going to chit-chat about all the good news that uh, has come out this week. Oh, I get to talk about comic book news. That's Yeah, dope. I know, right? Change of pace. Uh, if you want more from Tyler, you can also check him out on our Discord server and the Longbox Discord server. At our Discord server, you can ask us questions, as I said above, and uh, we're going to jump into those right now. Pete, take it away. All right. So this first one comes from Harris, uh, who asks, what comic arc has left the biggest impression on you guys? Ooh. Easy. Hmm. <laughs> Go ahead. Some swamp, swamp thing. Fail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Swamp just swamp thing. No, no, no. So swamp <laughs> thing. The specifically the second volume of the book where he has to fight Abby's uncle, who has just recently been resurrected from the dead. He he takes over her husband's body, pretends to be him, builds this life to emotionally like get her distraught. And then damns her to hell, and he has to travel into hell to bring her back. Wow, dark. Good shit. Huh. Uh, I, I have two, if I can yeah. just say my two. Uh, one's, I think it's volume two of Sandman. It's the Doctor Destiny um, oh, that's great. volume. Uh, that's a fan. That, like, that kind of sets the tone for what San- Sandman is for me. Um I really enjoyed that one. It's probably one of the more psychological stories I've read, and it's gross looking. Uh, and the other one would be uh, the Caged Angels arc of uh, Warren Ellis' oh, Thunderbolts. Yeah. Um, with that, Mike Didato on, on, on art as well. Um, I love that Thunderbolts run. It's that's My my shtick is you put villains on a super team, and they're dysfunctional, and I like it. It doesn't matter who it is. <laughs> like, uh, you know. Secret Six, uh, Superior Foes, Spider-Man, like, that's just my jam. So, like, Thunderbolts is where that started for me, so um, it also made me a lifelong Warren Ellis fan. So was your favorite superhero movie The Suicide Squad? Uh, big Jared Leto Joker fan. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Loved how damaged he was. <laughs> Love that daddy's little monster. Mm. <laughs> uh, for me, this is really easy. It's uh, Grant Morrison's Batman. Mm. Uh, well, I guess the question was pick arc. An arc. Yeah. yeah. Well, then that that's also easy. It would be Batman R.I.P. There's no arc oh. I've read more okay. than that one. Uh, that like I couldn't do the whole thing every year because that would be for I would take forever long. But that particular arc, I would read that trade like at least once a year for the first five or six years after it happened. So, yeah. I think for me, it's also between two. Uh, first one is Marco's favorite book, Daredevil Born Again. Yep. That that particular arc. Incredible. Uh, especially the ending uh, made Powerful. me weepy. Marco doesn't like it, for those of you who don't, haven't figured I couldn't, it out. I couldn't get through it. What a nerd. Wait, really? Yeah. I know. He's a true nerd wow. boy. Uh, and then the other thought I had was Grant meets Buddy Baker in Animal Man. Oh, um, that's a good one. That, that like, meeting with God, and God is more concerned about sales than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's real good. Have you read that full run, uh, Phil? Yeah, it's only like 26 issues. No, the, no, 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 all of uh, Animal Man. Beyond that, beyond when Grant yeah. left, I did not read that. Who took over okay. after Grant? I don't even remember. I don't know. I was, I was curious. The Jeff Lemire stuff's pretty yep. good. Oh, from the New Fifty Two. Yep, it's that's probably one of the more shiny. I read that. Things, it was good yeah. though. Yep, Pete. Um, <clears throat> I was really trying to like narrow it down to one pick, and I I think it's probably the Viltrumite War arc from Invincible. I think that's probably my. F- I, I struggle to say it's my favorite part of the book, but I feel like it's the most epic arc of the entire story. And it was like the thing that the entire beginning of the narrative was kind of building to. And then its ramifications echoed through the rest of the book. So it uh, that's kind of like – that's where I landed ultimately on it. And there's some great, great art in that run. So, yeah, I think I'd give it to that. I don't know exactly which issues that is off the top of my head, but – um, I think that's like volume five, maybe something like that. Okay, awesome. Uh, thank you, Harris, for that question. But he also has another one. So that's not all. <laughs> uh, if you had to make an omnibus to bring a new reader to comics, which character would you focus on? Bonus points if Sean doesn't choose Jean Grey. <laughs> the uh, classic Jean Grey omnibus. <laughs> that's easy. Cause... You just open it up and it's ashes. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, I, if, if I could, I wouldn't do that because it would just be her dying, and that's like really <laughs> that would dark be the whole sad. <laughs> Anybody hot out the gate with an answer for this one? Uh, I pick Daredevil. Much easily. One? Miller? Oh, okay. Oh, I would be. Dude, I would do a compilation of what Daredevil can be. Right. Be Miller. It would be Bendis. It would put Brew Mark Baker. Wade stuff with Brubaker. Yeah, I just think like. Whenever anyone is on Daredevil, they do it's like their best work on that book. Yeah, even what Chip Chip's doing on Daredevil currently, it's fantastic. Yeah. Love it. Maybe uh, not Shadowlands. I'd probably not put Shadowlands on there. But. <laughs> I kind of like that. I don't know when it was happening. I liked it. It was all right. That's cool. With the specific like framework of to bring a new reader to comics, like I feel like the easy answer is Batman. 
because there's so many really strong self-contained Batman stories that have different flavors too. You know, like there are um, like the more like you know detective oriented stuff. There's the more superhero-y stuff. I feel like you have a, a really good opportunity to like get a lot of really like big names in that omnibus give people a lot of different tastes of of what comics can kind of offer you know and i I don't know that you can say that about many other heroes in in the same way you know because like obviously like i would prefer like a spider-man omnibus but i feel like if you're trying to just hook someone on what makes comics cool batman is such an easy solution to that um in the discord i thought I thought of a couple books, um, and I think for me the best introductory writer in comics is probably Jeff Johns. And there's two books that are already collected in omnibuses that I think are really accessible for new readers. I think I think JSA by Jeff Johns personifies what comics are, and like if you're trying to get into comic books, I think that book kind of gives you a it's like a little bit of a litmus test of what your your stomach can take with with just pure comics uh and then the other one of course is his green lantern run which which i think is is so accessible and and is what made the green lantern uh you know arguably a top five most popular character in the late 2000s in all of comics and led to a movie being made that no one likes or remembers uh <laughs> I think I think that's a book that because of its high octane sci-fi adventure uh could easily hook anyone. Marco. Um I'm of two minds on this question just because to introduce readers to comics uh I think we're I don't think it should be focused on characters cuz I think that's such a bad precedent for trying to explore the medium. Um and like a lot of times we talk about superhero comics as comics. I, I just want to make that delineation. Sure. And then I would choose if uh, I would choose the spirit just because I think you also have to think of how readers have to get adjusted into actually reading the panels and the breakouts. And well, Eisner's whole thing was actually being able to easily translate stories into stuff like that and to being able to make it really easy for newcomers to the medium to be able to understand how panels work, how time works, how you're able to mix art with dialogue. And I think that's uh, something that should also be considered when, uh, when answering this. So the spirit. Did you say, Oh, I don't think you should pick a character. And then you chose a character (laughs) to answer the question. And I, I, but I don't think we should set that precedent. You, you set the precedent, baby. I did. I would. I would pick a mix of like different stories specifically catered around like this is how to read comics, so it's not scary. Like from thanks easy for, to advanced. Thanks for gatekeeping. <laughs> no problem. Damn. So I actually would choose Spider Man. Uh, I think that. So when I first started reading comics, one of the first things that I was gifted was this 
collection of CD-ROMs that had every single issue of Spider-Man. What? From when he first came out to like 2004. It was every That's single issue. Awesome. Damn. Did you listen to them on your Walkman? Uh, no, I actually... <laughs> <laughs> you are dating yourself here. <laughs> I actually put them in my computer and read them. And uh, what a like what a novel idea! Yeah, it was to think of that now. It, it was crazy, <laughs> um, but what it did was it gave me the entire history of the character, and I definitely did read every single issue because I had nothing better to do. And um, one thing about Spider-Man that I think is really cool is that, and a lot of people lambast the character and say he doesn't grow, but if you look at those years, you can definitely see that he does grow, and so you get to see a character kind of age. You know, start from high school. And if you're introducing a new reader, maybe they're a younger person. Uh, you can see them in high school. And it could be a greatest hits omnibus, you know, kind of like what life story is, just using the actual books to make that happen. Um, Spider Man has some of the greatest artists ever. And so it could be a showcase of art in a lot of ways as well. And I think if you picked a couple of stories from each decade, that's that's your omnibus right there. Uh, I'd sure love it. Yeah, I would enjoy that. And I actually feel like that's something that uh, both Marvel and DC could do for these characters. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I feel like that is, like, an underserved market. Like, making, like, a nice, like, coffee table book like that, you know, that you could just thumb through and it's, you know, some highlights from a character's, like, publication history like that. Yeah. Slam dunk. So that's not all from the Discord. It's all from Harris. Thank you very much. Uh, but we do have one from Casey. Yeah, so Casey said, I'm working on character building in my own writing. What makes a memorable character and any characters that stick with you? I mean, there's dozens of characters that I think we could say stick with us, right? That's that's an easy one. But I think what makes a memorable character is uh, – that's, 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 a, that's a good question. So – I'm going to I'm going to tweak this a little bit just for the sake of like answering it in one question. So mm-hmm. pick a character and say why that character is memorable, the mechanics of why that character is memorable. Okay. Well, Batman scourge is just one thing. I forgot I muted myself. So going back to Swamp Thing, his his like nemesis Anton Arcane I think what makes him incredibly not appealing, but very a character that sticks with you is that he is the antithesis to Swamp Thing, a person who loses humanity in the prospect, chasing the prospect of the betterment of the world, whereas he is someone who has purposefully transformed himself in the process of trying to attain more power. And I think that's a really great dichotomy to, to pit against because it becomes ideological, not just like a physical and yeah. that you can see the reflections in, in personality in in their approach to ideas and things. And so I think that makes it characters really, those characters really stick out because he in particular, Anton can be so many different things that are, I guess an opposing force, and I think you you when when writing a character sometimes and depending on whatever it is, but in this case being a villain, being able to see differences in thought, I think is a really strong, compelling 
approach because you typically attach yourself to how a character thinks, especially if a character like monologues and whatnot, right? You you, you see their inner workings and how their mind works. And that's a great thing to sort of bounce off. I think what makes Sauron a memorable character is that he could, like, cure cancer and stuff, but he'd rather just turn people into dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty memorable. I agree with that 100%. But but what I'm I'm thinking, especially with comics, I think design matters, too. Mm. Uh, I think, like, one of the first characters that pops up in my head is uh, Prince Robot from Saga. Hey. Um, Oh, yeah. It's just an amazing design that... Uh, I don't know where the delineation of, of choice was there between, you know, uh, Fiona Staples and um, uh, Brian. Um, Kayvon. Uh, Brian Kayvon, yeah. But uh, using – having a character that doesn't have a face um, means that you actually get to use the TV part of it to convey emotion, which mm-hmm. I think is such an amazing idea that only really works in comics. Um, it would probably work in film too, but uh, it, it I think that makes him a memorable character just from the design aspect of it. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to build off that, I would say the character that I would choose is I'll you know go back to Spider Man, where um, I think Spider Man works so well and is such an iconic character because he hits on both of those levels. Where like his design is really really good, not just in the fact that like his suit is bold, you know, and memorable. Like the eyes are very striking. Like there there there's a lot of iconography to Spider-Man that's immediately recognizable and he's also one of the few superheroes where you could tell who he is from um just silhouettes of how he's moving you know because he has that visual language that so many like to Sean's point so many great artists have developed over time you know and uh, when it comes to him as like uh, a a character who I think is memorable I I really really like flawed heroes you know and i think that as much as there is um value in you know uh, uh, a character like superman who can be like that you know that thing to aspire to i also think we like to root for characters like peter parker or you know um or matt murdoch because they're human and they make mistakes and they fall down and they get back up and the only thing more inspiring than watching a hero triumph is watching them fail and rebuild themselves because we've all been there you know and i think that's what makes a character memorable is someone who you want to root for you know and someone who um someone who you can like extrapolate things from right where you can walk away from that character and say that like they left an impression on you because their journey meant something to you or you connected with it or you saw yourself in their struggle you know i think that's what really makes people love a character is when they find some of themselves in it you know and making someone who's human and goes through human struggles is the easiest way to do that definitely phil oh i already said sauron but uh no no we can leave it there (laughs) um i think i think what makes someone like hmm who should i pick i think what makes aunt may memorable is that (laughs) we all have that aunt's (laughs) Who? <laughs> you already Sorry. gave a joke answer, oh you, and the first one was better. <laughs> um, I think what makes Daredevil memorable, I'll go with Daredevil. Uh, is I think it's that simple. It's just, it starts out with the thing that works for Batman, which is visually 
as Tyler said, uh, his design is striking. Like, it makes an immediate impact in the same way Batman does, but they both are kind of frightening to look at. And Batman oftentimes uses a lot of dark colors, like blue, gray, and black. And in Daredevil's case, he uses primarily shades of red. And and uh, as soon as Daredevil became famous in, like, Frank Miller's run or Nochanti or any, you know, su- successors after that... They really lean into darker reds, and you you juxtapose this this scary devil, which which iconography wise has preyed on the fears of humans for you know centuries, and you have how Pete alluded to uh, a character with a lot of inner turmoil in Matt Murdock, uh, and most of his inner turmoil is self inflicted. Uh, because of that Irish Catholic guilt, baby. <laughs> and uh, in a similar way with Peter Parker, in, in characters that have kind of passed through his life that have died or what have you, uh, it's easy to relate to what Matt Murdock struggles through. Because I think while he goes out and... and Deals with his trauma and stress through punching people. Uh, we all deal with similar issues. We deal with our vices in different ways that aren't necessarily the best way, but we all, I think people try their best. And so I think that's where, I think that's what makes Matt Murdock a memorable character is dealing with shit and just trying your best. I'm going to, uh, give a different answer, I guess. Um, I'm going to go with Alfred because I think if you are trying to write stories, um, every story pretty much has supporting characters. Think about, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. how many stories can you think of where the main character has no friends, no allies, no family, no nothing. That's not that common, right? Um, so Alfred is the quintessential supporting character. And I think if you look at that character, you can definitely see that even though you as the fan, you as the reader go, well, Batman is the most important thing here. That's probably true. Can you imagine what Batman is like without an Alfred? Probably not. Um, so that makes him extremely important. And I think you have to look at the fact that he is there to, in a lot of ways, be the reader. As a reader, we want to see Batman succeed. And Alfred does too. And he helps him do what needs to be done. But he also, like a reader, would worry about Batman's ability to succeed and worry about the fact that he could fail and die. Um, and so he gives you – he's actually kind of like a lot of characters in one uh, because you could easily split those different kinds of feelings and, and expressions out and create multiple characters. And I think a lot of times when you do that, you get characters who – for example, don't want to see the character succeed. They don't want to see them go out and be the hero and put their lives at risk. And that gets annoying. And people always complain about characters like that. Um, like Skylar and Breaking Bad. Alfred gets to be both the, the concerned parent, but also ready to do what's necessary to help his son uh, win the day. And so I feel like Alfred is a great character to analyze if you're trying to 
create supporting characters. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, you got a variety of different things to chew on there, Casey, and anyone else who's curious about that kind of thing. And uh, we really, really appreciate the questions. Uh, so thank you very much. And if you want to ask us questions, of course, you can write to us at comicspals at gmail.com. But like these uh, fine folks chose to do, you can reach out on Discord and we will absolutely answer your questions on the air. Let's jump into the Palace Pools, and we're going to start with our guest, Tyler, who, uh, like me, chose the plunge number one. Yeah, so I picked this because Stuart Eminem, that's it. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's literally all it takes for me to read a comic. It's like, oh, Stuart Eminem's on art? Yeah, sure. Nice. (laughs) Sure. Uh, I think everything he's done in the past, every every time, um, has been fantastic. I mean, uh, Next Wave is one of my favorite books of all time. His arc on Star Wars is fantastic. Um, it, he did an arc on he, recently on like Spider Man with the, the the Red Goblin. Like this guy just does not stop except when he retired. Um, Allegedly, and it's it, yeah, yeah, it was a real real retirement there. Um, it's like Edge, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic, and also Joe Hill. Um, doing some pretty interesting stuff at DC right now. So I'm excited to see what those two could do. Yeah, the preview on this one was really interesting looking to me. Just that shot of all the giant squids washed up on the beach. Oh, there's a there's a uh, tentacle gang reference right there. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Shameless. Uh, then you also chose Wonder Twins number 12. Yeah, so this is the final issue of uh, Wonder Twins, and this is uh, this is by Mark Russell with art by Stephen Byrne. Um, Mark Russell, who did one of my favorite books in recent memory, which is The Flintstones, um, yeah, really is still kind of doing that, sta- that same thing <laughs> with Wonder Twins, where he's – except he's kind of picking apart the superhero medium a bit, um, which is really, really, really interesting. And the book is hilarious. There's a, there's a villain in the book called Red Flag. Who's essentially just like a bro that just gaslights women? Wow, um, <laughs> um, it's 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 a hilarious book, but it's actually kind of like like deeply emotional too with some of the that's the like his style. It. <laughs> yeah, like this guy Mark Russell manages to to hit emotional beats that are completely opposite at the same time, um, and it's it's really good. Like the guy's writing uh, Red Sonia right now too, like. If you can, if you see a Mark Russell book on the stand, just pick it up. It's going to be good. Yeah. And, and, and this is the final issue, so I'm kind of curious to see where this one this one lands. The nice. highest I of praise. Pick that up in trade. Oh yeah, I love this. It's fun. Yeah, you got me interested in it now. I didn't realize that was him. All right. Uh, so next up from Marco, we've got Red Mother number three. Yeah, so this story is by Jeremy Hahn and Danny Luckert. Uh, Jeremy Hahn I actually know because he did one of my favorite books a few years back, Wolf Moon, with Cullen Bunn. And that's how I actually got introduced to Cullen Bunn. Um, I pulled up the cover here for you, y'all uh, YouTube folk. This is the what issue to number is one. This? this is Boom. Okay. And yeah, it's cool. I'm 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 really into horror, and this is about a woman who gets attacked by some mysterious force. She loses an eye, and then she starts getting visions from like after she gets a fake eye, she starts getting visions from this like eye, and mm. it's like dark and fucked up. And so 
that's my jam. So <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it, it's been a, it's been a good book so far. Awesome. Uh, you also chose Bang number one. Yep, Matt Kent. He's one of my boys. Any any one of his books that he pulls out, I try to try to get my hands on. And I don't know the artist, Wilfredo Torres, but it's a cool name. Oh, Wilfredo Torres is good. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he he did some stuff with uh in the Jupiter uh Jupiter what is the the Mark Millar book oh Ascending uh, Jupiter's Legacy oh, um, there was like a no no Ascending book. is a movie it's oh. uh, Jupiter's Circle and then what's the other one I think he did Jupiter's Legacy Legacy um, yeah and he also did one of the um the uh, Black Hammer spinoff books oh so, all right yeah. well cool I'm uh, definitely excited to dig into that I mean I didn't know him from his art but the art does look good especially from the cover. So, yeah, actually, I, I do want to read the blurb for this one because this one's, uh, it's a little out there. <laughs> we like so. No. Your pick's a little out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, a best of the best secret agent with memories he couldn't possibly possess, a mystery writer in her 60s who spends her retirement solving crimes, a man of addiction, of action with a mysterious drugs that keep him ahead of a constant string of targeted disasters a seemingly omnipotent terrorist organization that might be behind it all they're all connected to one man a science fiction author with more information that seems possible whose books may hold the key to either saving reality or destroying it jesus wacky (laughs) so it's about hickman i guess i don't know we'll see (laughs) and then all the rest of us chose wolverine number one hell yeah Five years ago, even three years ago, I don't think you could have told me that I would have been p- choosing to highlight a Wolverine book. Really? Yeah, because I've never been a fan of the character. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, outside of uh, Rick Remender's run in Uncanny X-Force, I've literally never liked Wolverine. Um, but between that run, which was obviously many years ago at this point, and what the character has been like in uh, the Dawn of X era... Um, and how good Benjamin Percy has been on X-Force, I'm all in and very excited for this relaunch. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been interested in this book since we caught the panel at New York Comic Con last year where they talked about kind of the future of the, the X-Line. And um, he, you know, he, Benjamin Percy was like so excited about it. You know, he's like, this is my favorite character. This is the book I've always wanted to do. So... Um, when you got somebody who like loves the character that much and someone who's like got good chops, like yeah, let's see what he can do. I'm really excited Looking to see to Logan lead Krakoa to a Stanley Cup, uh, drink some Molsons. Uh, and, and, Did you say and, my name? And, and maybe t- lead Krakoa in the um, in the Olympics and curling. You think Krakoa's are they, are they allowed to participate in the Olympics or no? You think yeah, they I mean, don't do human sports? <laughs> oh, well, they are recognized they, they by don't. most human countries. So I, they could if they wanted to. No, I actually, I think I think somebody brought up like we're, when are we going to see that Krakoan baseball issue? And Hickman's <laughs> like, oh, they don't do human sports anymore. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So literally, I mean, they'd have to come up with their own version of Blurns Ball or something. Dude, if Yamcha <laughs> can play baseball, so can Logan. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all just just a person. <laughs> He's a human. He's really yeah, I took good one at of those. Uh, um, so I'm ex- I'm super excited for Wolverine, mostly because uh, Victor Bogdanovich yes. is fantastic. Yes, he is. Um, it's almost he's almost got like a, a Greg Capullo kind of feel to mm-hmm. him. Um, and also I'm a huge Wolverine fan, even though like I I was like 
I wouldn't admit it years ago because he was everywhere. But like years ago, there was a Jason Aaron uh, run with uh, Daniel Acuna on, on on art, which was fantastic. That was crazy. Wolverine Wolverine goes to hell. Great, great uh, trade there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite um, Wolverine costume, Tyler? Uh, brown and gold. Nice, nice, nice. Yep. Cool. Uh, yeah. So Wolverine number one. Maybe we'll have a review of that. Maybe not. We'll see. Uh, so let's jump into the news. There's a lot to talk about. Lots of uh, lots of fun stuff, and we're gonna start with Birds of Prey. So, Birds of Prey. We we put out our review. You can check that out now. Um, it hasn't been doing so well at the box office uh, as of right now. Domestically, the movie has made. $42 million, Ouch. and uh, internationally, it's made $112 million for a worldwide total of 154 over the course of, of course, uh, two weeks. So that isn't too great. Uh, the budget was $84 million, which it's already beaten its budget, but you have to factor in, of course, um, a lot of hidden costs that get that get lumped in there and not really talked about. Um, like promotional stuff, you know, promotional material um, and things like that. So, you know, Birds of Prey not really doing too well right now. Um, of course, it was, it is an R-rated film and that hurts. But I'm curious to know why you guys think the movie didn't do too well. Tyler, did you see Birds of Prey? I did and I actually really enjoyed it. Um but I think, I mean, first of all, I think there's a, there's a distinction. I think it's not doing too well for what we imagine comic book movies to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking um, this Especially too. Big big 2. Um, but I think it was a marketing issue, honestly. I think uh, it, it wasn't marketed very well. I think the change they just made with uh, changing the title to Harley Quinn, uh, I think it was like Harley Quinn in the Birds of Prey, or instead of yeah, Birds of Prey in the... That fantabulous emancipation of harley quinn i think they should have done that earlier on um to kind of show people like this is a harley quinn movie because it really really was honestly um and also like i think they needed to like stray further away from the suicide squad uh kind of uh trappings i mean especially in marketing it's just i don't think a lot of people like suicide squad so uh they might have been turned off on this so i think it needed to show how original this movie was and um in marketing might have been a better idea because i think it's a really fun movie i thought it was like stupid fun um not like a fantastic movie but like great popcorn flick just to watch yeah so there there were some quotes that i wanted to read that speak to what you're talking about tyler so the verge reported uh based on a, a spokesperson from warner brothers who they can't uh name in the article that part of why this was done was uh, to increase the ability for people to uh, find tickets. Uh, search expansion for ticket sites is the exact quote. Hmm. Um, apparently, people were having a tough time actually finding the movie on ticket websites. So that's an issue. Um, and then The Verge goes on to say, like a domino effect, a few things went wrong at once. Bad marketing, bad trailers, and bad title decisions, which uh, we talked about the bad title decision, and we talked about the bad trailers. We we talked uh, before the movie actually released about how the trailers weren't very good, um, and that definitely led to at least me 
uh, feeling like this was not the movie to check out. Uh, but then also Jeff Bach, who is a box office analyst, said they took a swing and they missed. It wasn't for the masses. It was a niche comic book movie. Warner Brothers keeps having to learn these lessons. Uh, the first mistake in not is not focusing on her. She has an IP, so Warner Brothers not naming it Harley Quinn was a huge misfire. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's clearly a contributing factor. Like, Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey is a much better title than Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, it's a it's, lot. It's, it's a, a cutesy, not appealing name. Wait, so there yeah. are people who search for a movie to buy tickets, can't find it, and they're like, oh, I guess I'm not going to the movies. I'm not going. <laughs> well, going to the movies these days is not appealing to a lot of people in general, right? So, like, yeah. you're almost looking for reasons yeah. not to go. Sure. Hmm. Um, so I think that's a problem. I think like we called out like the whole R rating thing, like that really moves the needle for it too, you know, cause Tyler, you made the point of, Oh, it's underperforming. Like for a superhero movie, it's like, right. Well, it's also an R rated movie, which yeah. like, it's not fair to compare that to like the other DC EU movies, you know? And that's like, I've seen a lot of that, a lot of, Oh, it's really underperforming compared to the other ones. It's like, well, yeah, it has a much smaller audience. And especially when you think about that, like a huge contingency of Harley Quinn fans are young girls, you know, like that, if that movie was PG 13, I bet it would have made a lot more money at, at opening weekend. If it was called Harley Quinn and the birds of prey and it was PG 13, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, but then know? I also and think I, it would lose a lot of its style. That, I'm sorry. I think it would lose a lot of its style for, for the movie to have to fit into a PG-13 setting. And, and so it's a weird, right? it's a weird kind of middle ground it has to kind of play. Yeah. And I think the fact that, like, not to say that I'm arguing it should have done that, but I think that that's contributing to why we're seeing it performing less than something like you know the stuff that we're comparing it to, which mm -hmm. are you know they have a, a a bigger pool of people that can go see it, right? Like that matters, and it. You know, it didn't have the marketing or the clarity, the brand clarity of something like a Deadpool or a Joker. And so, like, I feel like all those things adds up to it being a little soft. I think uh, Deadpool is kind of a good comparison because I think, especially in comics lately, Harley Quinn's been kind of built up to be DC's version of Deadpool, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Um, but if you look back, if you, if you think back on the marketing that Deadpool had, that thing was a marketing machine. Yeah. At that point. And that's why it did so damn well for what it was. Like, instead of a bunch of hacky trailers, like, why didn't they do some more, like, viral marketing of some of that kind of stuff, sure. you know? like the trailers missed out on the whole style of the movie. Like, those, those like, uh, title cards you would get with, like, it would have the reason that people had grudges against Harley. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. you don't get any of that in the trailers at all. They're just, it's just fight scenes with music behind it. And there's, like, nothing interesting there. And when the movie itself is really interesting and fun, so... Sean, were, were those sales numbers uh, for the weekend or through like some point during the week? So those are the latest um, the latest numbers coming from Box Office Mojo. Okay. Yeah. Because one of the other things that I was thinking of was just like obviously for a movie like that, word of mouth is also really important. And I know that you guys have said, you know, it was it was good. I think even in the Discord, we some people mentioned you know, it was good, not great, and I, I think that also has like a lot to do with it because I was initially interested in taking Miranda to go see it, and now that I'm like, all right, good, not great. To your point on you know, I think Pete that you mentioned, you know, people don't want to go to the the theater, 
Like that, that was that was a, a thing where I'm just like, all right, I guess it's not worth it to go to a movie theater to go see it. Or like, if I'm gonna go, maybe I'll go see one of these other movies that, right, uh, like, exactly. Parasite just won Best Picture, right? Like, exactly. isn't that still in theaters? Like, right. maybe I'll go see that instead. 1917 right? or so, something. Uh, right, exactly. And I think Sonic I think, the Hedgehog. <laughs> even so, honestly, it, honestly, honestly, Birds of Prey. Damn. Right. So, like, I really Did he do it on opening they, night. Uh, I mean, what beat Birds of Prey in on opening night? Yeah. Okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So I, that's like I I really think that's what's happening. And then I mean I I think we would be remiss to not bring up the fact that you know I think in terms of like the marketing being bad, it also very much is kind of like a like rah rah girls club movie, and like that's gonna turn off a certain portion of like comic book moviegoers anyway because you know like that is realistic. You know, it's turn off a whole bunch of dudes talking into their microphones on youtube <laughs> right exactly uh, or like shit. you know like comics twitter you know so like you know i think all like all of that combines to where it's at you know it's like right. i think i think it's no one major problem it's like death by a hundred cuts um i gotta tell you i think this whole thing's a little overblown it definitely underperformed Damn. but like it's it's gonna make a profit at the end of the day, and that might impact future Harley Quinn movies. But I don't think this is this isn't nearly the box office disappointment it could have been. Ultimately, I think yeah. <laughs> we've seen a lot worse. Um, <laughs> but but I feel like the expectation was also a little bit bigger that it would do it would it do though? better. That's the thing. Like all the buzz around this movie was practically non-existent. Um, yeah. like, is it really underwhelming compared to expectations when expectations I don't think were terribly high? Well, that depends the on the budget itself wasn't that big. That depends on yeah. where you're placing the expectations from, like where you're gauging them from. If you're gauging them before the, the first trailer or like around the time period of the first trailer, I would say expectations were pretty high. I think that people really thought a Harley Quinn movie could be special um, because it has a lot going for it on the outset. Um, a Birds of Prey movie, that's a different story. And I think they put two things together that don't necessarily go together. I think you could have just as easily put Poison Ivy in this. Uh, you could have easily put like a like a Batgirl in this. And it's a different movie, but it is something that A, more resembles the books. And B has more bankable characters. I guarantee you there are more people on Earth who know Batgirl and Poison Ivy than Renee Montoya, you know? Um, yeah. And I just think that there were a lot of things that went wrong before we saw one iota of footage of this film. Mm-hmm. But going into it, people were definitely hyped. Um, have any of you guys checked out the Harley Quinn DC animated show? No, I've heard it's good, but I haven't oh, seen it's, it. It's really good, actually. Yeah. Um, but I think something like that might have worked a little better. I think it's it, it's. I think they should have focused on Harley in this instead of trying to launch something else on the side. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, especially Harley's okay. I think Harley would be an okay character, especially with the Suicide Squad coming out. Like she'll be in that. She's going to be all right. Yeah. But I think this kind of diminishes the possibility for future birds of prey which is kind of a bummer because i would love to see more rosie perez's renee montoya so totally i just feel like they keep trying to use her star power to put over other characters when they could just like focus on making a good harley quinn movie you know and like set up to sean's point set up some of those supporting characters through that 
you know, and like characters that have a closer connection to her. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, the The future of Harley is is safe. I think Tyler's right about that. Um, yeah, it's a ridiculously popular character. Yeah, we'll be seeing her again pretty soon. So, uh, another character who we're going to be seeing again pretty soon is Batman. And you don't say, yeah. Well, it's it's been a while since we've had a solo Batman movie. The last time we got that was actually in 2012 with The Dark Knight Rises. And now we have our first look at Robert Pattinson in the Batsuit. Um, and it has oh. had the internet a buzz. It's not Ben Affleck anymore? No. No. Ah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Does that, mean, was, uh... does that mean I called it? No. No. <laughs> Technically, he has not stepped down from the role. So oh until he God. says. Give me the W. No. I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing it. Do you need it in paper? Like a, a formal. <laughs> yes. Would a flashpoint work? Uh, yes, I would accept that. Mm, We're <laughs> learning the rules here of this deal. So it's a, we got an Instagram uh, video that shows the, you know the costume. It's kind of like a weird vibe. You get the Michael Giacchino. I think that's how you say his, say his name. Um, mm-hmm. uh, music in the background. He's scoring this film. It sounds awesome. Uh, the costume. The, the bit of it that we do get to see looks pretty cool. It looks like a more kind of like grounded version of the costume. Looks like it's something uh, Bruce could have put together himself, which of course is major Batman Begins vibes. Uh, we do see Pattinson's face in the suit. We don't get to see the the uh, the ears. Um, what it, Speaking of the ears, do you think they're they're long ears? Do you think they're short ears? Short. Are they like vampire Batman ears? Or? I think I think they're going to be like middle. Oh, what a common like, answer! <laughs> not well, Ariana Grande, said, like because there's ones? like the super long ones. I don't think they're going to be like that. But I don't think they're going to be the tiny, tiny little ones like Daredevil horns either. What did you guys think of the suit? I dig it. Like I. Like you said, I like that it has the more, like, stripped-down look. Like, it, it looks like it is something that is kind of, like, like this is earlier in his career. It feels a little bit closer to the ground. Yeah. Like, a little bit less high-tech. And I'm really excited by the idea of a Batman movie that does that, you know, that is, like, focused on, you know, some more street-level, like, detective kind of stuff, you know? And that's the vibe I get from this. Like, it, it, it kind of reminds me of daredevil from netflix mm-hmm. you know and i i'm all about that that sounds great it, it's it seems more practical like mm-hmm. like this you know has uh room to for him to move for him to actually be able to like kick ass whereas i think the uh the 2008 one was like a lot more stiff you know and, like you'd see him like kind of turn his head and be like, <laughs> like it's it, so I, I do think this yeah. looks like it's much more believable in the sense that he can use this in, in action I was getting some uh, real eyes wide shut vibes from it. <laughs> um, this looks like something leather you'd wear to an orgy, and that's not a that's not a knock on it. I mean, it's practical. It's like, hey, you look, can, I want Batman to be yeah, sexy again. You definitely can can move your head around in one of those. I mean, they, so they did say the movie so was going to be raw. <laughs> it's very raw, very yeah, raw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think the 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 bat symbol and and how it. Um, 
looks like it could be a broken down gun, which could be like Joe Chill's gun. Um, Interesting. I think that was recently brought up as being canon in comics, right? It is canon. uh, Uh, So that was done by Kevin Smith in Detective Comics 1000. Oh, boy. It's so fucking lame. I'm I'm such a non-Kevin Smith fan. (laughs) Give him a break. I you know, it's the jorts. It's 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 the jorts. I can't. There's been a lot of heavy criticism about the concept uh, and how it's super, you know, grim, dark, and everything else. And it's funny edgy. because the the book that it was done in uh, was not. It wasn't edgy at all. It was actually really like inspiring. The idea was yeah. that he was taking this really negative thing that happened to him. And kind of turn it into a positive. Of course, in the book, it's not the symbol itself that's made from the gun. It's his armor. It, it, the, the the gun gets smelted down and made into armor that Batman wears. And he says something to the effect of the same thing that broke my heart. The instrument that broke my heart will now protect my heart. Um, and it was really, you know, it was really cool. And so I feel like people should give this a chance. And I actually feel like the media is reporting this in a way that's a little bit unfair to the idea, especially because we don't even know if that's what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that that's the only thing that people have been really critical about so far with this. Oh, dude, what if he just like can push his chest and like whip out batterings? That was the what? part I had when I saw oh, it. Yeah. What? No, no, no. He's going to totally push his chest. Push like, 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 it pops out and like the battery and it's like, like, just like grab him or some shit. It's not that crazy. A a lot of people have said that. And I, I mean, when you look at it, I don't see why that couldn't come out. That's the first thing that I saw was like, look, he has like, it looks like it has grips on it or something. Like a porcupine? No, like, like, (laughs) grab it. (laughs) Porcupine man. (laughs) Oh, I'm down for porcupine man. I think that's like a D-list Marvel character, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Something I thought was interesting, too, is uh, one of the comicbook.com articles that we were referencing here, like, says, calls out how a lot of fans were saying it kind of looks like the Arkham, uh, the video games armor and it does kind of have because because that armor has like a like a semi robotic look to it you know like it's almost like armor but not like the bulky bat armor yeah 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 like i mean i don't know i can see it like marco's holding it up here for the youtube audience i i can totally see that comparison it's got a similar look to it yeah i just want to see what his utility belt looks like i think that's the most important part does this does he have that's my question does this generate any excitement for the movie for you guys? No more than I already have. Like it's it's cool. I'm I, I like to see it, but like I'm already interested in this movie. Like I feel like Matt Reeves' vision for it sounds like what I want out of a Batman movie right now, and I I really like the choice of Robert Pattinson. So like at this point, I'm sold. So like, give me more crumbs if you want. It gives me some shit to talk about on the show, but. You know, like, I'm in already, you know, like, I want to see it. Unless unless there's, like, a terrible trailer that really turns me off, like, I feel like this this is going in the right direction. I think the score did more for me than the actual suit. Ditto, man. It's, yeah. The, the it score, cool. it, it kind of feels like that Michael Giacchino, I think, he did, like, Incredibles, I think. So, it kind of has, like, that mixed in with the Tim Burton kind of feels, mm-hmm. which is, like, a weird combination that I not think would work for Batman. But, like, I'm listening to him, like, oh, this is, like, this is Batman. Totally. This, this feels right, yeah. Uh, that did Very more for me than the actual, yeah. It sounded like, uh, when I first heard it, it sounded a little bit like the Imperial March. 
Dun, dun, okay. Dun, yeah, yeah, dun, I heard that too, yeah. Dun. It was just like a little extra pause and some things and like missing a note. I really hope that this is not year one. I I would really like year two, Batman. Didn't they announce yeah, that? I never read that. What he's going to be doing? It's going to be like Batman in his second year? Okay, I hadn't heard that. I feel like I've read that somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's very possible. Um, okay. And if so, I'm really pleased because... You know, we've seen year one. Batman Begins was that. We got that. Um, I'd really love to see him pass that part and, you know, trying to find his his footing, but more confident and more prepared to tackle some of the villains that we know are going to be in this movie. Um, And if that's the case, that's something I think to get excited about. Because, again, Batman has such a long history and we've really focused on one portion of it a lot. So I'd love to shift gears a little bit. Yeah, I feel like we always have the movie that's about him when he's already established, you know, and like you said, we've got we've got the origin. Like, give me some like young Batman still cutting his teeth stuff. That's I would love to get a trilogy of movies that are like that, you know, I I just want more Batman. That's the detective. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like if this does anything in like with Long Halloween and how that that felt like Long Halloween's the best Batman story of all time. Um, that would if, fit pretty well too in the uh, terms of <laughs> Phil just gave me a look there. <laughs> uh, no, um, but I think that that kind of feel would work, and it's something we haven't really gotten. Although I just ba- want bat nipples would be nice again. <laughs> no bat nipples. Don't. <laughs> bat credit card, maybe. <laughs> and how come Batman doesn't dance anymore? Remember the bat to see. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I just want one scene of him with a flashlight in his mouth and he's like going through files, you know, like that's the Batman I want. I hope they pull from Kevin Smith's run where he pees himself. <laughs> Did that happen? Yes. Oh, no. What? Uh, in one of Kevin Smith's Batman books, he pees himself from an explosion. He said it was like a bladder reaction to the explosion or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> was it played seriously too? Uh Yeah. God forbid God. he wants to humanize Batman. Right? Oh yeah, because peeing yourself is humanizing. <laughs> no, He's not Miles that's, Davis. That's the story of somebody. You piss yourself if you were in an explosion, film? No, that's the story so. of somebody who pissed themselves and decided. Well, everyone made fun of me for pissing myself. I, I bet you Batman <laughs> does it. <laughs> now it's cool and then to be pissed. He didn't have any any proof for that, so he had to make it. I don't think wow. I've peed myself since I was a baby. You've never been in an explosion. So talk to me yeah, then. Well, <laughs> never mind. Go ahead, Marco. Can't even hold his bladder long enough to make it through a podcast sometimes. That's true. I, I, I was wondering how this was going to fit into the DCEU mm. or the DCFU. It doesn't, I hope. <laughs> I don't think it does. It doesn't. It do- like, is that confirmed? So I, I bet you this ties into Joker before it ties into anything in the DCU. <sighs> it, 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 as far as I know, it won't be tying into Joker. I think Matt Reeves really wanted to come in and do his own thing. That's been mm. the word from from Go is that he just wanted to be to, this to be his own thing. Um, so I really feel like this is not going to have any tie, especially because this is taking place. You got to figure probably like at least fifteen years prior to uh, Batman v Superman. So right. it would have a tough time slotting itself into anything recognizable for us. Hmm. I feel like there's a really good chance that they're going to just reboot the whole thing. Like, and we've been talking about that for a long time, but I feel like seeing them do some kind of flashpoint 
you know, or like something else like that, a crisis movie where like you can write out, you know, the parts of the DCEU that didn't work and roll them into something fresh where there's a new younger Batman. We keep Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. We keep, you know, Shazam and Aquaman in the mix because those movies were fine and made money. Like, I, 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 and then we recast Batman and Superman and start over. I think that makes a ton of sense. Bring in The Witcher. We're good to go. <laughs> All right. So moving into the comic space, we're getting a Dark Knights follow up. So in May, Death Metal will be unleashed upon the DC Universe as Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, alongside Jonathan Glapion and uh, FCO Placentia, will be reteaming to tell a new story, uh, a new event story, uh, again titled Dark Knight's Death Metal. Uh, so this time around, it looks like we're going to be seeing the Batman Who Laughs kind of take over the DCU. Uh, he has assembled a new Sinister... Or not Sinister Six. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, You're what's right. the DC version of that? Secret, Secret Sinister Six. Squad. Secret Six. The, C- the new Secret Six. And uh, they basically have taken over Earth. Um, it's been consumed by the Dark Multiverse. And now the heroes are on the run. Um, some of them are just trying to kind of keep things going, keep humanity alive. Uh, Wonder Woman is is the centerpiece character in that regard. Uh, meanwhile, Batman is actually running running an underground resistance group to try to save Earth from enslavement. Uh, Superman has been imprisoned and is now powering the sun. I thought he turned into Glenn Danzig. <laughs> That's exactly what he looks like. <laughs> that hair is something else, dude. It's... If you'll scream, scream with me. Let's <laughs> <laughs> <Just> look at him. <laughs> so this is going to be six issues. And um, yeah, I think I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Phil and I in particular really loved Dark Knight's Metal, uh, the initial one. And so I'm pretty excited for this. I like Wonder Woman taking center stage here. Uh, what about you, Tyler? Um, I thought Metal was uh, the previous kind of event book. was great looking. Yes. But I thought it was doing a little too much. Um, I kind of got lost towards the end there. Um, I don't really have any expectations for this, to be honest. I think it's going to be one of those just like summer event books that I will definitely read. Um, but I'm not excited for it, but I'm not, not excited for it either. Right. It's just one of the things we're like, oh, well, that that'll be out, and I'll read it when it comes out. So, I think it's really funny, like how they're like very much leaning into like this. This looks like late '80s, like metal band album cover art, you know, and like in this the variant cover they have, it looks like they're like it's like kiss eyes, like shooting lightning and shit. Yeah, like it's yeah. <laughs> Wonder Woman looks like a Viking Batman's on this like crazy, like I feel like Eddie out motorcycle <laughs> and he's got a scythe. Like Eddie from Iron Maiden would just work in that, that cover. <laughs> yeah, <perfectly>. exactly. <laughs> it's like a hundred percent Iron Maiden vibes yeah. and it, I'm, I'm here for it. It's so hilarious. I mean, look at Batman's um, bike, dude. What is going on? <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's so, so fucking edgy like it's this bat skeleton motorcycle <laughs> does it does it kind of feel like scott snyder has run out of ideas 
No. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, Dark Knight's Metal was extremely popular. And it's very clear that they wanted to do a part two from the outset. You know, there were seeds planted uh, to go into a second uh, Dark Knight's Metal. And the story really hasn't ended. Because the Batman Who Laughs has been actively working behind the scenes to, you know, bring about the end of the DCU and take things over. So, um, I don't feel like this signifies him running out of ideas. I think this is just the continuation of something that he started with Greg Capullo in 2017. Have you guys read any of his uh, Justice League stuff? Yeah. Because I know this ties into his Justice League run pretty directly as well. Um, specifically, those eyes in the background are Perpetua's eyes, which is like the big bad yep. of his whole Justice League run. So I'm kind of curious to see how he ties in those two threads together. Uh, mostly because his Justice League stuff is some like big brain uh, storytelling there. So um, <laughs> I mean that as a knock and also as like a, a love letter because it's stupid like sci-fi fun. So, um, but yeah, it's it's weird to see those two kind of themes kind of combining. Uh, because what he was writing in Justice League was essentially a crisis level story. So yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Phil, are you excited or no? Um, too soon to say. Uh, it looks ridiculous. I'll say that <laughs> Batman has a scythe. That's badass. <laughs> we'll see. That's how I feel. We'll see. Fair enough. Uh, I liked May- metals though. That was good. Yeah, May thirteenth on this. So. It's been 80 years, if you can believe that, since the debut of the Green Lantern. Of course, we're talking about I remember about it like the... it was yesterday. <laughs> Kale does. That's not you. Everybody was just about that shit. Of course, we're talking about the Alan Scott Green Lantern. Uh, it's been 80 years since he came about. And uh, DC is going to be celebrating that with the... Green Lantern 80th Anniversary 100-page Super Spectacular number one on sale May 20th, 2020. What a name. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, creators attached to this. I don't feel like we have teams necessarily announced, but we do have Jeff Johns, Daryl Banks, Charlotte Fullerton, McDuffie, uh, Cena Grace, Mike Grell, Jeff Lemire, Ron Mars, Denny O'Neill, uh... Ivan Reese, Rafa Sandoval, Mariko Tamaki, that's awesome, uh, James Tinian, uh, Robert Venditti, and more, uh, who are all going to be There seems to be, there seems to be a a glaring omission for artists that have drawn Green Lantern. Who might that be? I I wonder who could have burned a bridge that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, who, who? Because I generally don't know. Oh, it's EVS. Oh! (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's him. Um, I just I just want there to be some like Green Lantern core stuff because like that 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 Jeff Johns era of Green Lantern just like well, it was my jam I love that stuff so if I can see some Larfleas or Atrocitus or Saint Walker I was a big Saint Walker fan um, just those, those the the color core is so good and I and I kind of miss it they overdid it a bit towards the end um, but I think enough time has gone by where I'm like yeah let's let's get more of that love Saint Walker that was a great character. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's your favorite Green Lantern? Um, it's Kyle. <laughs> nice dude. Yeah, that was a great yeah. Green Lantern. You ever read the? Have, have, have any of you read the '90s uh, Kyle Rayner stuff? 
Nope. Post, uh, mm-hmm. what is it, zero hour? I, I have the issue, the fridging issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I okay. found it at like a like a garage sale or something like that. I found it somewhere and I was like, oh, it's like a dollar. I'm going to buy this. Did you put it in your fridge? Uh, yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> my fiance's in there too. So. Oh my God. No! Damn. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, How else am I going to get character development, guys? <laughs> Yeah, you're too soft right now. We gotta toughen you up. <laughs> you know what? I hate to say this, and I don't mean it the way oh, it, maybe go. it comes across, mm-hmm. but it is kind of weird to it, not weird. It's not weird on DC's part why they wouldn't do this, but the fact that uh, Ethan Van Skyver is not a part of this, given that he is, I don't think he should be, but just the fact that he's not given that mm. he really contributed so much to this character it just it's kind of weird to not have his art represented here he shouldn't be but it's just weird to to, to not be a part of a 80 80th anniversary like just compilation issue shows how much you're blackmailed from the industry yeah all <laughs> right yeah, yeah. Totally. like it's and right like you said like rightfully so oh, 100%, like yeah. yeah it is it is like um it's kind of wild. Yeah. I just think of that uh, that gif of, of Homer Simpson driving over the bridge while he just throws a torch behind it. <laughs> That's for employing me for 22 years. <laughs> oh, I, think, I think this is pretty cool, though. I think Green Lantern as, you know, a group, if you will, uh has really evolved in a great place uh, since I, at least since I started reading comics. When I started reading comics, uh, Jeff Johns was kind of getting started, um, or maybe just a, a little bit after I started reading comics. He was getting started with his Green Lantern run, and obviously since then we've we've been introduced to some new lanterns like uh, Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz. We also got um, this Green Lantern uh, from Far yeah. Sector. Who I really oh, really yeah. love. Uh, her name is uh, Sojourner. Um, she's cool, and I hope she has some kind of representation in this book as well. Um, so Green Lantern has a, a great legacy, a great history, and I, I I look forward to it being celebrated here. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, it's like it's kind of it has a little bit of that Daredevil thing with but with DC, in that there are a lot of really good runs on Green Lantern over the years. A lot of people bring out their best. Um, I don't know if Green Lantern is a little underappreciated these days, but I'm looking forward to this. I've never seen a character get destroyed by a movie so bad. Yep. Like yeah. even in, even in like comics, they just like gave up on the guy. Like he was like top tier, and then he went to like C list. Like he was you know just what, off though? teams it's, and everything. It's funny because I feel like I feel like the original Daredevil movie had a similar chilling effect for that character. Where, like, a lot... I remember for years he was a punchline, where it was like, oh, he doesn't even have any fucking superpowers, you know? Like, he sucks. Like, he's just... You know, like, I remember that narrative in a similar way. Like, a bad movie can really do a lot of damage to a character who's not already, like, an A-lister. You know what the difference is? in the comics, though, he stayed the same. Yeah. Yeah, The difference is that he still had, like... He still had uh, Brubaker working on him, and then, like, Wade... Mm -hmm. Uh, with 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 Green Lantern, as soon as Jeff Johns was done, it's the Venditti took over, and it really just went on a back burner. Uh, it, 
Meanwhile, you see guys like the Flash really blow up in the 2010s and whatnot. Like, yeah, he really felt like number five. He's not even in the fucking Justice League movie. Yeah, Yeah. like not even a mention of him. (laughs) If Green Lantern movie does better, not only does the DC film universe launch earlier, but Green Lantern is their Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a totally different world. And they had that belief in that character at the time. You know, is like the thing you have to think. Well, that's about. why they did. Lantern yeah. books were selling like crazy. Right, yeah, and yeah. and you know what? Like throughout the nineties, like the Amalgam comics or whatever, Amalgam, uh, Green Lantern and Iron Man were always paired off together. So I feel like yep. they were seen in a similar tier, a similar light. Ha. Huh? Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I'd like I'd like to see Green Lantern get a little more love. I, I I'd li- I'd be interested in picking this up because, like Tyler, that, that Green Lantern Corps run from like 2008 to 2012 or whatever was. Oh yeah, I picked up all the tie-ins. I had like I have a like multiple long boxes that are just Green Lantern books. Wow, it, it feels like a really like underdeveloped like IP for them in terms of like mass market. You know, like there's so much you can do, and especially like in a time where. Um, you know, like, the way that DC has kind of, like, spread out their stuff. Like, it would be so easy to have, like, a show about one Green Lantern, and it's a different one in the movies, and, like, that's normal. Because yeah. there's a fucking, like, ten of them that people love, you know? Like, there's like, so many cool Green Lantern characters. The possibilities for toys are, like, Star Wars level, I feel. Yeah, for oh my god, are you kidding me? <laughs> Yo, make... Like, there's... <laughs> Just just make an Indiana Jones in space movie, and you're good. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's... Yeah, seriously. What we do um, is is Grant going to be doing anything for the 80th? Was he one of the names? Uh, his name wasn't present, okay. but I would be shocked if they didn't pull him in. Liam Sharp's doing the main cover, right? Yep. Isn't it? Yeah, which is cool. So, moving on, uh, I think this is probably fair to say most people's favorite animated series from the '90s that involves a superhero is Batman. Spider-Man. Uh, that's mine. Radioactive Spider-Man. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm on a rewatch right now on Disney Plus of that. Hell show. yeah, bro! No. <laughs> where's Where's our Let's Can we do a podcast about that? Let's. <laughs> I, I tried uh, rewatching the X Men animated, but I can't get past Morph's laugh, dude. In, like <laughs> episode two, just I've been watching that as well, man. It's, it's rough. <laughs> I love it. I I I, uh, I think that show's phenomenal. It gets a bad rap, in my opinion, but. Uh, <laughs> Most people would argue that uh, Batman the Animated Series is the best of, of the bunch, and we are actually going to get a follow-up, but it's going to be in comic form. Uh, it's going to be called Batman the Adventures Continue, and it's a six-issue run that will be digital first. Oh. Um, Paul Dini is returning to write for this comic um, alongside Alan Burnett. Nice. And it's going to primarily feature characters that didn't appear in the show. Uh, so we're going to see, like, uh, Jason Todd, uh, Deathstroke, Red Hood, Azrael, characters like that. Hmm. Yeah, I'd they... love to see, like, an animated series version of Professor Pig. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> uh, they, they deliberately try to avoid, like, 80s, 90s Batman stuff when they did that show because they weren't as familiar with it. Um, 
so it makes sense that guys like Azrael aren't in there in the in the show. I mean, mm-hmm. but um, I think they did. Weren't, weren't there a ton of Batman animated series comics in the nineties yeah. and two thousands? For sure. Hmm. Yeah. That's where Harley Quinn first showed up. Oh, uh, in an animated series. Well, that was how she like made the transition to the comics. Oh, oh, oh. She was created for the show. Right. Oh, and uh, this will be drawn by Ty Templeton. Just to put that out. Which, it's like literally in the art style of the TV yeah, show, which is great. Looks, just from the people's yeah, pages. Awesome. But uh, that Dan Mora cover, did you see that one? Fantastic. Is that Dan Mora the, cover. the main cover or the second one? I believe it's the main one. It's the one where uh, Robin's running next to him, and then you have Nightwing in oh, the back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That oh, looks nice. great. Um, yeah, that one's cool. But the, uh, it just reminds me of how good like those costumes are, though. Like, they're just so simple and, and classic. Yeah. Like, red and black Robin. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. Uh, I'm excited for this book. I'm really excited for this. How how do you guys feel about the digital first portion of that? I think that's kind of cool. Because, like, I think this is a book that will resonate a lot with, like, I mean, anybody our age, right? Like, has a soft spot for the show. And I, I feel like there are people that will definitely go seek it out. And, like, I, I, I wonder if that's not the way to get people into digital, like, more and more over time is to, like, have stuff go digital first. And, like, yeah, you can still get it at the shop the way you always would. But right. if you want to read it right now and be able to get your hot take out on Twitter right away and all that kind of shit, like, go read it digitally. And Do we know the, know the time period between digital and print? Have they announced that at all? They yeah. haven't. Okay. So th- this sort of feels like what Marvel did, I think – maybe a year ago or so with like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage where they had these digital first issues that eventually got collected in trades. And I think the, the Jessica Jones stuff was so good. They're printing it out in single issues now. Actually, uh, um, actually we do, we do have an answer. It'll be out a yeah, month later. Okay. May, May 6th. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's even, that's even shorter than when I thought it was. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm frustrated by that. I'm frustrated. I, I want the book to be out day and date digital and print. Um, I don't want to have to pick it up digitally, and I also don't want to wait a month to be able to read it either. So, mm-hmm. not in love with that. But yeah, I I understand that for sure. Um, but I, yeah, I'm I'm really stoked about this. I mean, obviously, like I think that that series is phenomenal. It's my favorite piece of Batman media. Um, and like the there's a quote in the article here where Dini is basically saying that like him and Alan. Um, who was like another like one of the main writers on the show and a bunch of the spinoffs basically are approaching this as if they were doing another season rather than when they shelved it and moved on to Batman Beyond. So like, yeah, that sounds super exciting. Um, and I mean, if it's good, like, I'll, yeah, I'll pick up as many of these as they want to do. Have you guys read uh, Dark Knight, a true Batman story by Paul Dini and Eduardo Riso? No, no that's when he no. got mugged, right? It's like a true. It's like a true story of Paul Dini's life when he got mugged in '93. Yeah, and it deals wow. like his depression and how he's even during the time of him making uh, the animated series. And it's one of the best books I've read in a long, long time. It's fantastic, and it, so that just has me excited for more Paul, more Paul Dini. Honestly, so. was his depression caused by the mugging? Uh, it was that. It was like his relationship at the time. It was uh, fame too. Mm. Just fame in the in the circle he was in, and. Uh, Eduardo Riso and art is, it's like a re- it's like a really depressing book though, but like good depressing. You know when you read something that's so depressing, yeah. you're just like, oh, I actually felt something for once. That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Dark. 
<laughs> Real. <laughs> Ooh, this this episode's taking a turn. Yeah, Paul Dini, great writer. Uh, I'd be really interested in, in what he does. Uh, I'd give it a shot. And there's something really nice about that simplistic Bruce Tim art style, uh, yeah, which was very, very easy to animate. But uh, you know, it, it, it'll. Um, I'm interested in what they do here. Mm. I think yeah. it'll. I think it'll translate very well. I think this is a lot of potential to be something special. You're welcome, listener, for saving you from that, uh, that existential crisis. Existential this. dread. <laughs> Sorry, you guys asked me to be on the show. So. <laughs> Remember back in the 90s when you were happy? <laughs> Sean, Sean, what's up next? <laughs> uh, so we're going we're gonna to end the news here with a little bit of Marvel talk, or should I say Marvel's talk. Ah. Uh, uh, we're right. getting books. yet another Marvels ongoing. So this one will be titled The Marvels. And it's going to be coming from Kurt Busiek and Yildere Sinar, who is notable for uh, working on Image Comics' noble causes. Um, this is being described as the biggest, wildest, most sprawling series to ever hit the Marvel Universe. I bet it sure. sells one million copies. <laughs> hey, maybe. Wait a minute! I thought they did Marvels already. Exactly. No, they've done. So I'm just gonna yeah. go out right and say I'm really excited for this. Okay. Um, because this feels like Kurt Busiek finally getting to do Astro City with actual IP superheroes. Mm. Um, and Astro City is a fantastic book. It it just deals with like the the real life ramifications of living in a superhero world, and I feel like that's what this can do in a way. Except he gets to do it with Spider-Man. He gets to do it with Captain America instead of uh, the characters he has to create for the for the stories. Um, I'm a big Busek fan, so I'm, I'm in. And the Alex Ross covers are always fun. So he spoke to Marvel.com and he said, The whole idea of the Marvels is to be able to use the whole Marvel Universe. Not just all the characters in it, but all the history of it. The sweeping scope of the whole thing. I think I described it to Tom Brevoort as something like a Tom Clancy thriller. In that there would be multiple threads of story going on. And those threads could come together and split apart again. Or maybe never even meet. There could be characters involved in a story that do something important. But never meet the other characters in the story. Which will very much be the case in the opening storyline at least. The Marvels wow. is intended as a freewheeling book that can go anywhere, do anything, use anyone. It's a smorgasbord of Marvel heroes and history. So there's more to the interview, but basically what he's describing is similar to what Tyler was saying, an open world, ongoing story that just features everybody. And yeah. the way I introduced this was to say it's another Marvel's book, and I do mean that because there are quite a few. But this is actually something that I am really, really excited about because I've always wanted this. I've yeah, always that's... wanted a Marvel book or a DC book, doesn't matter, where it's kind of like anything can go, you know? Yeah. And it features everybody and there's no limits and it's just an ongoing the story of the Marvel Universe as it unfolds. You know, um, I don't want to, I mean, not that I don't want to, but I like the idea of not having to buy, you know, Marvel's Spider-Man, right? And Marvel's X-Men, you know, and whatever else to <clears throat> yeah. get their versions of the of the story. I like just being able to buy one book. Yeah, that, that, that's super appealing because um, I, I similarly, I really enjoy Astro City. And I do think that 
being able to play within this sandbox is is really cool. And and I, I like the way that he positioned it in where like, you know, threads can come together, split apart, or maybe even never meet. I think that is super impactful just because I, as much as I like when, actually, as much as I don't like when characters cross over, it's also it's also cool to be able to experience like see ramifications from like, another story, another storyline where there aren't necessarily those interactions because it fe- it makes the world feel that much more lived in and like real, in the sense that you know these have ramifications that affect other people that don't interact, and that's totally fine because that's what just what what happens in the world. Yeah. Absolutely, I think that's really exciting and compelling. This this uh, first cover that they're teasing too is just like wow, sick. Yo, yeah. the, I saw the Punisher there, and I'm like, damn, dude, Punisher's gonna be in this shit. That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you think about that from like a real world perspective, he's be like, da, 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 and some dudes like ducking, like yeah. <laughs> 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 that guy ducking is probably a mobster, so it'll be all right. <laughs> So, Tyler, you, you seem to have some familiarity with Marvels. What can you tell us about what it is and, and kind of, you know, that whole deal? Well, in my old podcast, the Longbox Podcast, we did a whole episode on Marvel, uh, Marvels, uh, which was the Alex Ross and um, Kurt story, um, mm-hmm. which I had never read until I read that book. Really? Um, until we write it for the show. And it was right. It was just it was my jam. It, 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 it really, it's a story of um, a photographer, a reporter, as he, his life through the Marvel Universe as just a normal guy um, and how everything affects him around him. So it starts with uh, Namor the Submariner versus the original Human Torch. And it goes all the way into like uh, X-Men and uh, it goes, I think, up till Nova in the 90s. So it reaches present day and it hits it chron- chronologically. And it just shows how the world really just grows um, throughout the years and everything kind of fits in uh, with, with each story. There's even, I mean, I don't know if it, it, it might be in a similar vein, but more recently was the Mark Wade uh, history of the Marvel Universe, yeah. which was really good. And like when it comes to like just telling the history of the Marvel Universe, which is probably my favorite fictional universe in anything, um, I'm, I'm there for it. So. I'm excited for this one. There, some of the characters on that cover too are pretty interesting. Like that that Martian guy, I'm pretty sure is one of like the guy in the middle on the cover. I'm pretty sure he's like a, a golden age, like invaders era kind of side character, Ooh, which wow. is weird. Um, like Black Hat is there, and it's yeah, like I mean yeah. I love Black Hat, but okay, like yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I'm, I'm interested. So, and real quick, is is the the woman behind Torch, is that Jewel? The musician? Um, <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> Where is she? Where is that musician? Yeah. What's she been up to lately? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm bringing up the cover right now. I just wanna... I'm not sure who that is, personally. Who's the fly person with like the electricity stuff? <clears throat> you think it's Sarah Shock again? Oh, are you talking about <laughs> one behind Human Torch? I think that's Arrow, the more recent oh, um, oh. Agents of Atlas character, which is again another interesting addition to that. Yeah, and then and then Marco asked, "What about the lightning? The lady with the lightning bolt and the wings?" Storm. I have no idea who that is. It looks like Static Shock in terms of like the <laughs> costume design. It does kind of look like it looks which, like a cross between Static Shock and like the Carol Danvers Miss Marvel. I wish it yeah, was Storm. Which, I mean, uh, Static Shock. Storm is on the cover. 
She's just she's up in the R. Yeah, you can see her face. Oh, oh yeah. that's okay. So that is the golden age vision. The 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 Martian looking guy in the background. Storms in the background there. Oh, that okay. is Arrow. You have Iron Man. And then they don't name who that is. I'm looking at the Marvel uh, announcement here where they name the, all the, the characters. The lightning bolt lady? Yeah, they don't name her. I don't know. A nice yeah. lightning bolt lady. That's a good name. Maybe she's new. <laughs> I mean, I think this is like a good thing she's... to pull like a century kind of move here and just introduce characters that existed in certain ages. Um, she's in the previews, Inc., too. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Uh, well, we don't have too long to wait to find out what's going on with this book because it will be dropping in May. And I will definitely be picking Interesting. it Interesting. Yeah. I'm down to read that one on the show. Looks cool. Yeah. So, speaking of reading things on the show, uh, we're going to jump into our review of X-Men number six. All right. So, this, I feel like, is the issue of X-Men that everyone has been waiting for. Specifically, we've been talking about this cover, this, this Mystique cover, and what this could signify oh, yeah. ever since the New York Comic Con panel where they first showcased it in light of everything that we know about mystique and her role in krakoa and wanting um you know destiny to be resurrected uh this issue seemed like it was going to be major and it does not disappoint whatsoever what did you guys make of this anyone hot off the presses with a take yeah, this was a great issue. I think um, similarly to uh, – was it five was the one with – was that where we finally got the boys in the suits? That was four. Or was that four? That was four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, similarly to four, I think that this is one of those issues where I'm reading it and I'm like this is what I've been missing in that in the current like House of X stuff. You know, because like House and Powers, you know, had – such great pacing and, you know, like really, really creative ways to deliver a story that ha- those like high political stakes. And I feel like this issue, similarly to four, like touched on a lot of the things that I feel like specifically X-Men has been missing for me because I think that the whole anthology style of the book right now is something that has been to both its like benefit and deficit. So, you know, when it hits, you get an issue like this. When it doesn't, you get one like, you know some of the more forgettable ones early on. Dragon. Um, so yeah, I, I was so excited to finally see like what's been going on with Mystique, you know, come to a head um, because we've been talking about this since they made the promise, right? Like we knew that we know that they have no intention of giving her what she wants. And what does that mean? And this is where that starts, you know, and you can already see the cracks forming and uh, that's exciting. I, was in love with this issue. I really thought that uh, this issue felt like, again, the promise of House and Powers was these big X-Men stories that feel like they have impact and they matter. And this issue feels like it. I mean, it, it literally does follow up on what happened in that book series, but uh, it does so in a way that really signifies and signals to what's going to be probably the first major hurdle that the X-Men have to deal with in terms of infighting. Because Mystique is not going to take this line down, right? They don't want to resurrect Destiny. Destiny told Mystique that they would not want to resurrect her. They wouldn't want to bring her back. Um, And she is, she has, this is the only thing she wants and she's not going to let it go. And Mm. 
throughout history we've seen Mystique, you know, she's a villain, typically. So we know what she's capable of. So how is she going to react to the fact that they won't bring back Destiny? I'm really excited by that. Uh, go ahead. I, uh, so I was okay with this issue. Like I like, like really? That's it. Well, because like I feel like by the end of it, it was it was just like, oh, here's what I I'm telling you to watch out. What do you mean? And like it, it was basically just like it opens with, hey, I'm t- I'm going to tell you something, and then it goes into exposition as to like, okay, this is what has happened. We already knew that she that they weren't going to resurrect her we already knew that they were hesitant about it she's just kind of going on this it just showed, it kind of showcases her going on this mission and then by the end of it it goes you know you should watch out and if not you have to burn everything down it, it just felt like a like a setup issue more than anything else sure not necessarily one that was driving a conclusion so i so i so i thought it was like it was fine in that sense um but otherwise it was structurally good it, it, yeah see Go ahead, Pete. Go ahead, Phil. Go ahead. Um, well, I was just going <laughs> <laughs> to... We've been doing this for four go, years. Go, Phil. Go, go, Phil. It, it sets up a lot of exposition, you're right, and, and it takes us through things we already know, but it's kind of like a snowball running down, uh, rolling down a hill, and I think the real point of Crescendo in this is when Mystique, who's just been revived... And just performs this reconnaissance mission for Magneto and Xavier. Finally, confronts uh, confronts them about the possibility of bringing back uh, uh, Destiny, and Xavier is just callous about it. He he yeah. says, "Hated and feared. I fear I'm going numb to it. Not because it doesn't bother me, but because all of this is bigger than how we feel. It's bigger than me, and it's certainly bigger than you. And it's like that." Sets the tone. Uh, what, I, what I like about this is that it's really setting up Mystique as a big player in this, which I don't think she has been in comics for years now, um, which is funny because uh, yeah. the first class series of uh, movies came out where she was huge. Um, the comics never did anything with that. J-Law! Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I like that she's going to be essentially the main antagonist uh, for Krakoa as a whole. Um, and the fact that uh, I'm curious to see who she kind of recruits or cause there. I know Sabretooth is kind of uh, cooking in the belly of Krakoa somewhere. Um, <laughs> and I know they yeah. have a history together too. So I'm curious if like, this is the, the dawn of a new brotherhood with her in the Magneto role for once. Um, I don't know. I, I think it, there's, there's a lot of possibilities here that, that, that can make Mystique a real, real interesting character because she has emotional stakes here, which I don't think she's ever really had. Uh, in comics for years, maybe, maybe since like, I think she had like a solo miniseries years ago. Um, and I think this is also the first issue where we confirm that destiny was her wife. Yeah. At least it's, it's explicitly stated. Yeah. yeah. So My that's, wife. that's a great, <laughs> thank you. Thank yep. you. Um, Someone had to do it. <laughs> I think it's a great, like, uh, it's a great piece to kind of solidify. It's always been like rumor or like, it's a fan theory, but like, I don't think anyone's ever really had the the wherewithal to actually just make it the text instead of the subtext yeah um so that's really nice to see which i think mystique as a character kind of deserves you know um so i'm excited i thought it was really good i thought uh, mateo bafagni is fantastic it's uh i'm familiar with uh, the stuff he did on i think was i think he did one or two issues of souls daredevil 
Um, he did do but, that, and then he yeah. also did some stuff in uh, Amazing Spider-Man, Dan Slott's Amazing Spider-Man, Pulse mm, Secret okay. Wars. Yep, yep. Uh, no, I thought it was good. I really, really loved that page um, where it just was like the real quick showing of all the the stuff that the courier had done. And it was just Mystique colored. Like, yeah, that was a, that's cool. There, and I, I think there's a lot of really good visual moments in this book. Like the paneling isn't. Um, it's never stagnant, you know. Like it's it's like a lot of it isn't you know necessarily like groundbreaking, but like the the action is very very like it feels kinetic, you know. Like you can feel the energy between the panels because it's it's very varied, you know. And like it, your eye goes really through it. I think smoothly. And there's a lot of those nice little touches where like the characters like breaking through into the you know the gutters and stuff. And there's 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 a lot of good work here. And what's interesting actually about that page, Pete, is also like how the color on the entire page uh, is purple originally. So it kind of like, it actually calls attention to it via the color where it's like everything's normal, 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 then purple. And you're just like, interesting, why is this all purple? And then like normal, normal, normal until you get to that black and white and you're like, oh, uh-huh. I was supposed to pay attention to that. <laughs> <laughs> so we do get some critical information in this issue that that is new and does advance the story. Which is that uh, they are still building Nimrod. Uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Gregor, I believe her name is. Yeah, Dr. Gregor is, I would imagine, inspired by the death of her husband to now, you know, to build this, this Nimrod. And I love the idea that they keep trying to get ahead of the future, but they can't. They change something something changes to counteract that change. Very, very similar to, like, the Terminator, for example. And sure. it makes it feel, and it goes back to this this age-old concept of inevitability. You know, the, the X-Men are doomed, mutants are doomed to extinction. And Powers of Ten showed us that very clearly. And the idea was that they would be able to prevent that extinction by doing Krakoa by doing, you know, all this stuff. And it doesn't look like they've actually made any advances at all when it comes to preventing the Nimrod future. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and I, I think what, what I love about that as a concept too, is that it feels like very, it, it feels like it ties really well into the broader Marvel universe and multiverse, right? And the idea that, like, across all the different universes, there are all these different echoes of what can happen, but that there are there there is always some kind of element of fate, you know, like, um, you know, like 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 using like uh, something like Spider Man as an example, right? Like, even if it's not Peter Parker with the bite in the way that we know it, right? Like, there's always a Spider-Man and there's always those things. So it's like, I feel like the idea of broader echoes of these characters and what their role in the universe is, is it's always shades of, of the same color, you know, and seeing that play out through the very direct like number of timelines that we know we've gone through. And that we're now in kind of like the final shot for, um, yeah, I, I feel like it's just really been masterfully, executed you know and, and i'm really interested to see like where hickman wants to go with it from here i i was really pleased with the scripting in this issue too mm-hmm. i think jonathan yeah. hickman 
does such a great job of establishing stakes and making you feel as though things are important. And I don't think a lot of there, – there are a lot of writers who struggle with that, with with establishing the importance of things. Um, the mystique angle has been dangling in the back of all of our minds since that whole thing started. And so he approaches it here really well. The first thing she cares about really is getting her wife back, you know, once she's resurrected. The only reason she's playing along is because she wants Destiny back. And there's there's a, a desperation in her voice, but also like an anger. And I just I just love the way that he's playing it here, especially Professor Xavier's voice here as well. Uh, he just, he's just different now, you know, and it makes me wonder, you know, is this going to go the road of him ultimately being like the villain kind of thing? Um, Tyler, what do you, do you think that, do you think that down the road, Professor Xavier will be kind of like the ultimate baddie? Oh, I think, I think in, in comics forever, Professor X has been a dick. Yeah. He's always been yeah. a dick. And I think I think now is just that that facade is gone. And we mm-hmm. get to see that like, oh, this guy's an asshole. Right. He, he's always been. Um and yeah, I think I don't know if it'll be the the big bad, but I think that people will soon see that that facade kind of wearing away and realizing who he is. And I think that that they'll be able to see that Krakoa might be a little too I guess too good to be true in a way. And really, uh, the Professor X is the cause of it. Uh, and I'm curious to see where Magneto lines up here, too. Because I don't see him and Charles staying, you know, seeing eye to eye forever going forward. There's always going to be something that drives a wedge between them. It's just the nature of the characters. It, it's interesting because I don't – I feel like the way I feel about Professor X is very much how I feel like we talked about the portrayal of Beast in our X-Force review. You know, where that, like, there is um, there is a side to him that, you know, like, like his ultimate goal of creating a future for mutants is, you know, I, I think a genuinely altruistic one, right? But he's certainly uh, guilty of and continues to be guilty of being willing to go to lengths that are, you know, um, that are cruel, you know, and that are that are things that you wouldn't ascribe to, like, you know, a hero, you know, necessarily or, or someone like who has this dream that's supposed to be so peaceful. Right. Like what he's doing right now with Mystique is, you know, is bad. It's, it's like he's really genuinely manipulative and, and, and cruel to hold that over her head and to be so cold and so callous about doing it, you know, rather than um like even trying to like have a, a scenario where they talk about like being honest with her, you know, and trying to, you know, like work something out rather than him and Magneto being like, well, we're better than everyone else. So we get to make the decisions, you know, but that's the that's what's been so interesting about Krakoa is that it's Krakoa is great for mutants and bad for everyone else. And in order to keep Krakoa <laughs> alive and thriving there have to be concessions and right that is the problem with ruling right it's hard because you have to make decisions that people won't like if mm-hmm. it, it's simple is it is it cruel and callous not to resurrect 
her wife? Yeah, but they have to do that. Because as soon right. as they resurrect her, it's game over. Krakoa ends. So there is no way that they can resurrect her or be honest with her about why they won't. Because if they're honest with her about why they won't, it's the same thing as bringing her back. Right. Yeah. I, so, it, no, go ahead, Marco. It, it, it's it's especially poignant, and I think somebody already brought it up, but hated and feared. I fear I'm going numb to it, and yeah. not because it doesn't bother me, but because this is all bigger. Uh, because all of this is bigger than how we feel. To Sean's point, and 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 that is that is the thing that I think because they are in these positions, these like ruling positions, they do have to make those decisions, and it's. I don't know, man. Like, like everyone, it sounds like people have been having issues with, with Xavier and with Magneto and everything. But I mean, he, he's in this series has become one of my favorite characters because yeah, it's just like you vibe with him. I know, I know, I vibe with that shit. Yeah, we well, know. My my <laughs> thing is, I I I actually wanted to answer the question that you threw out, Sean. I don't think that he'll be necessarily the villain because I think like. He's beyond heroes and villains at this point. And I, I agree with what Marco's putting down and what with what you said, right? Where like he's a ruler of a nation that the world doesn't want to exist. Like that you can't be that guy and be a hundred and have your hands be a hundred percent clean. I don't believe that's possible. He, you know? He's already the villain, is the thing. Uh, he's not. He is. And the he's book not. The book has done an excellent job of setting up what utopia is. What is what what is what is what is the nature of utopia, and and subverting it in in the way that a lot of fiction does, and 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 adding a lot of dystopian elements. When Can I stop Sabre- you for one second? I'm sorry. We have gone this entire show, I believe, without pointing out that Tyler's wearing a Glob Herman T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> So important. <laughs> I'm a Glob fan. What can I say? I, uh, I asked him about that in a break, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, the book has a trial, and I think House of Power, uh, House of X uh, for Sabretooth that is deliberately meant to make the reader uncomfortable because it's a clear and obvious kangaroo court. Anyone mm-hmm. that doesn't fall in line with what the goals of Krakoa is are 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 tried in in a in a in a, in a, in a case that isn't fair. And why not? What do you mean? Why not? Why isn't it fair? Because he doesn't get due process, and that's that's the very nature and virtue of of, of you know uh, laws of a of a of a organized civilization. Human and laws. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I, I feel like that's that's also like not in the context in which Krakoa exists, right? Like this is a government that it's existed for like a month and is already a number one world power. Like you know, like I, I, and not to say that what you're saying isn't true, but I feel like you're holding it by like human standards, first world human nation standards, and that's not what they are. Well, but. That's not the point. I think Hickman is deliberately trying to make you read this and go, that's fucked up. And Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, and I think it, it, to what Tyler was bringing up, is Mystique going to lead a future brotherhood? You're, I think ultimately characters like Mystique, and if she does bring Sabretooth back, they're going to be the martyr heroes who have a chip on their shoulder and have a case to bring down a very corrupt dystopia. And I think that's the direction this is going. 
I'm curious too with like with with the way mutant laws work now. If like say they die revolting against Krakoa, hmm. do they get brought back? Do they get brought back? And, and by very nature, the idea of bringing people back is is that kind of eugenic science stuff that make people uncomfortable too. Everything about Krakoa oh, yeah. is meant to make you uncomfortable. I think Hickman is deliberately setting Xavier up in a way that. He because he makes you uncomfortable, and because his ethics are so questionable, he is probably going to be set up to be the ultimate antagonist of this story. That the way or the way that I've been reading it for for what Hickman's trying to lay down is that there's a there's a point at which we have to go beyond those things to to literally Xavier's point. It's it's bigger than how we feel about these things, and and to to me, what I've been getting out of this series, what what I got out of like of Hoxpox was like the this is these are the next steps and there are some realities that are going to be ugly but have to be accepted in order to continue progress. I love the way you said that. Um I think I think one of the things that I've been saying is how weird it is that in every scenario in every one of the oh not every single one of the books but in X-Force for sure the X-Men are doing unsavory things. In, in X-Men mm-hmm. proper, the X-Men are doing unsavory things. and mm-hmm. they're But they're doing them for good reasons. And I don't feel like this is dissimilar. And the way it's being framed is the it's, it's negative for the X-Men, right? Like they stop the, the, the plant revolution or whatever in X-Force – because they are aware that any time there is a, a singularity sing- similar to an Omega Sentinel, that spells doom for mutant kind. So they're protecting themselves in the same way that humans would. But the way that the story is framed, the X-Men are bad for doing that. And right. I think that's so interesting because it's not dissimilar from the way that the X-Men have always been viewed by the outside world. And it, it only speaks to why they need to insulate themselves in this way, mm-hmm. Tyler, what do you what do you make of all that? I'm just thinking about how, especially when you bring back the the X Force thing with the the plant uh, evolution, how they're essentially turning into humans, and how they treated mutants. Yes, they're becoming what they've always fought against in a way. Um, yes, mm-hmm. which uh, it's uh, I'm curious to see who what are the characters that start realizing this first. I feel like Beast. I'm surprised Beast isn't one of them. Nah, my man started uh, Dark Beast. Yeah, seriously. Actually, I think Dark Beast has uh, robot arms and legs now. Yeah. So. Right, well, he's going to have robot <laughs> arms and legs, okay? What's... Yeah. Well, Beast, um, Beast has always been willing to do whatever's necessary yeah. for mutant kind. Mm-hmm. Well, quoting yeah. Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, shit, man, like, not even just mutant kind, right? Like, we talked about, like, look at the Illuminati. Like, he was, you know, com- uh, he was a part of some really, really dark shit there, too. I- I don't for the greater good. I don't want to gloss over the fact that I think Sean made a really interesting point, which was um, Hickman has found a way to, I think, have the reader who for decades has sympathized and enjoyed X Men stories in their plight, and made it so that they read the X Men in the way that people and regular everyday people and everyday six sixteen Marvel react to them, which is these guys are kind of scary and fucked up. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, yeah. Do you guys only- have any ideas of who you think could turn against them as well? What do you mean, like within within mutant kind or in yeah, general? within mutant kind? Yeah. 
I mean, obviously Shaw has been, you know, Shaw's always only fought for himself, though. Right. right. I don't think he yeah. would fall in line with Mystique, but I think he could go off, break off, and do his own thing too. Mm-hmm. I think one of the characters that have been has been surprisingly absent throughout all this is Nightcrawler. Yeah, baby, mm-hmm. he's getting a one. Yeah. Especially, I know, but especially with his his you know relationship to Mystique. Sure. There's he's really busy getting sloppy toppy, bud. That's true. Wow. That's true. <laughs> uh, you he's know, busy. I think I think uh, Rogue and Gambit will probably hmm. not be cool with a lot of this stuff. I mean, they're just getting they're just doing sloppy toppy too. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's making babies, man. Sean, you want to bring up doing. anyone else that's getting sloppy toppy or what? Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, my number one answer actually is Apocalypse. Yeah, uh, hmm. not for sloppy what? toppy, but because <laughs> <laughs> I think. I, I think that Apocalypse may have a problem with the Moira factor. And that's something that we – I mean, they are deliberately not bringing her up, right? Um, yeah. But once that comes to light, which it will, because what's going to happen is Mystique is going to uh, take the take the visage of Professor Xavier. She's going to have the five resurrect Destiny. Destiny's going to say, hey, more is a thing. And that's what's going to be the catalyst to blow this whole thing wide open. That's my theory. Yeah. Uh, I think Apocalypse may not like the fact, the new Apocalypse may not like the fact that all of this is built upon uh, a house of cards that's very, very easily destabilized, as it will be proven to be the case. Yeah. I don't know. I, I and and I haven't read hmm. the Excalibur stuff, but I feel like Apocalypse is he's definitely getting sloppy committed, toppy. Too, definitely getting sloppy toppy, but but too committed to <laughs> to the cause to the to the cause and to the idea because for him this was everything that he's ever wanted. So I feel like he'd risk it all in order to keep this going. <laughs> My guy would risk it all, right? <laughs> <laughs> Put it all on the line. Making people say his name in the apocalypse style. <laughs> Big A, baby! <laughs> Draw my fucking name. Draw my name. <laughs> I also think Cyclops is unlikely to be cool with this for long. Cause Cycl- I think he's I think he's actually the best choice for a person who would uh, be willing to collapse these house of cards. I did some lap dog. Mm-mm. Well, uh, Cyclops, Cyclops is the best X Men of all time. All right, I'm down with that. I mean, Jean Grey, but yeah, Cyclops as well. <laughs> um, and it is Jean Grey Day. But but I wanted to to, to also say Wait, Cyclops Jean, Jean Grey Day. Has, yeah, it is. I didn't, you didn't know that. Every day is Jean Grey Day, Tyler. You Can don't you? listen uh, to the show okay. Damn it! It's, it's like a, it's like an unbirthday. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's Madeline Pryor Day, actually. Sorry. Cyclops has been contrite about the negative decisions, the decisions that didn't work out that he has made. And he's the only person who has had those feelings so far. He's the, because a lot of people have done things that they shouldn't have done. He's the only one who has shown that he's unhappy with that fact. Like what happened in X-Men five, where they sent uh, the the three away and they're just going to be gone for 500 years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He Uh, felt bad about it. Xavier didn't care. You you brought up how you know he's had to make this tough decisions. Other characters have made ha- had to make tough decisions, and then meanwhile, there's the Marauders who don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> they, get, they get face Kitty, tattoos. Kitty Pride gets drunk and gets tattoos. All right. 
She's enjoying her 20s like a normal person. <laughs> so, any last comments on this issue before we close out here? So I don't have a comment on the issue, but I have a comment on just X-Men dumb yeah. in, in, in general. Where does Namor fit into this? That was addressed. Yeah. Uh, I, I, feel like he, I feel like he should, though, especially what he's doing, too. He's trying to lead his whole nation into a revolt currently, too. So, Well... I wouldn't. I wouldn't even argue that that's not gonna. Um, that those bit. ships aren't gonna cross because. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I, be- I I firmly believe <laughs> that when when stuff hits the fan, the X Men are gonna want Namor as an ally, and I think Namor is watching what they're doing very closely, and mm-hmm. I feel like he would love all of this. Uh, I'm surprised know, that they haven't they haven't made a more direct like outreach outside of whatever they did. I'm surprised there isn't something like in another book that's been sort of tackling the the relationship there because I think that's again if this is all like the geopolitics shit of X Men like that's the the one thing that you would go for. I feel like we might see it in uh, X Men Fantastic Four. Hmm. Yeah, I think if that's going to happen, something would happen there. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, Tyler, where does Glob Herman fit in all this? <laughs> yeah, my guy's just chilling. <laughs> Chilling. He's just he's trying. Like he, Kitty's getting drunk. Getting he's tattoos. just trying to find a, a team to be on. Honestly, poor guy. Sloppy toppy. I don't know if he. he I don't think. <laughs> I think Blo- Glob's entire body is a sloppy toppy. Oh. <laughs> Xavier is like more mutants, and Glob's like, "All right, here we go." And everyone's like, "All right, we're good, dude." Here's my shot. <laughs> <laughs> Not Glob. All right, so I think Poor that'll Glob. do it for our review of X Men number six. This was an issue that we were very much looking forward to. Glad we we you know we got to review it. Um, I'm personally looking forward to whatever the X event is going to be in the summer, and uh, I think the road to that is being paved right now in this book. So if you're not reading X Men for whatever reason, definitely jump on now. Uh, you can absolutely start with this issue if you have read House and Powers, and if you haven't. You literally have no reason not to read House and Powers. Um, it's well worth your time. You think we get an announcement at C2E2? Um, you know what? Maybe. No. No? I feel like there's still there's still a little bit more to be established within the books before they make that big announcement. I mean, we just got April solicits, right? Or, or did we get May yet? Uh, we did. Well, yeah, Marvel's was a May book, but I don't know if that was in the solicits. Okay, yeah, because I don't know if full nice lists come out. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like we're, we're around that time where stuff's got to be announced soon. That's a good point. I think most Marvel events happen in like July or late June or something like yeah. that. So Juneish, yeah, because uh, House and Power started in July, I believe. Yeah, which I guess kind of lines up with C two E two, and I feel like they've been doing a lot more comic book centric announcements there. Yeah, well, trying to crack the case with my inside journalism. Uh, Avengers versus X Men two. That's what's coming out in June and July. I hope you guys are ready. Honestly, with the way both properties are right now in the comics, I'd be down for that. It's going to happen eventually. If Hickman is writing it, I don't care if it's called Civil War 3. Just do it. (laughs) Whatever. If it's Hickman Hickman and Jason Aaron writing that that together, 100% into it. Yeah, definitely. Could be good. So let us know what you're thinking about the X-Men world. Um, You can do so in many ways. You can let us know what you're thinking about anything we talked about on this episode, of course. Uh, You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Get us at thecomicspals wherever your social media is sold. If you're on YouTube, you can definitely leave us a comment, share the video with your friends, like the video, and subscribe to our channel for more content. 
and join the Discord. We have a lot of active conversations always ongoing on Discord. Let us know your thoughts about the X-Men. If you have questions for us about what we think is going to happen in the future of the X-Men, you can definitely leave them for us there, and we will address them on next week's episode. And, of course, when it comes to book clubs, we just put out the Infinite Loop book club. Uh, so go check that out. It's the Valentine's Day special book that we uh, chose to review. I still have it playing on my speakers in my bedroom. It's on an infinite loop. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, hmm. (laughs) Good. I'll I'll take the free listens. Go for it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And upcoming at the end of the month. Go ahead. Oh, upcoming Magneto Testament. And then. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, we're getting ready for a alignment with the new mutants movie. Demon Bear Saga. All kinds of good That's shit. That's right. So go check out our book clubs. Lots of great book clubs in the backlog for you guys. Some of them are requests. Actually, Tyler did request the Howard the Duck book club that we did. So, And then was Thank on it. Requests yeah. more like forced. It did feel hey, forced. He shot his shot. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. And I enjoyed the book. So, I had fun with it. Yeah, It was, it was a book. Um, it was something. So let's let's jump into the plugs. Tyler, why don't you go ahead? Um, I have nothing going on for me anymore, so you can just follow me on uh, Twitter at the Tyler Olson, and uh, tell Elizabeth to call me back, please. What <laughs> <laughs> about Mary Kay and Ashley? You guys good? <laughs> uh, funny. <laughs> funny. <laughs> funny. All right, Pete. Uh, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Comics Pals. Uh, you can follow me at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to go check out some of my other stuff, you can head over to lootpots.com where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, as well as the Patreon exclusive show, After Dark. Um, so yeah, that's it. Thanks. Wait, can I plug After Dark too? Because I think you guys should uh, should should uh, put some money there and listen to that show. That show's good. Well, so. Thanks so much, buddy. Appreciate that. Marco? You can follow me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Come talk to me about that indie shit, that horror shit, and tell me why Mystique is trying to impede progress. <laughs> I'm with that. <laughs> I'm with that. I'm going to gif out the way Sean re- reacted to that. You were just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> I mean, how many civilizations have been burned down because of love, right? Like, come on. We got to get past this. Gotta get over that feelings. Yeah. How many civilizations have been burned down because of love? <laughs> Dude, you, Rome for one. Do your research, man. Go, go read the history. Go read book. a book. Yeah, well, I don't have to answer that. This is in the history, pals. <laughs> that uh, sounds like week. the worst podcast. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> this week, the oh Phoenicians. <laughs> Jesus. Today we're gonna talk about it's the Peloponnesian love War. That, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll Phil, put my degree ahead. to use. Um, so it uh, sounds like I'm being dragged to go see the Sonic the Hedgehog movie tonight. So if you're in a Discord, <laughs> yeah. if you're in a Discord chat, press F for me. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, of course, last week was Valentine's uh, Day, uh, so uh, wanted to give a shout out to my special sweetie, Elizabeth Olson. Thank you. <laughs> and what we're we're, uh, we're doing our own version of WandaVision. It's pretty whack. 
And, Me, uh, <laughs> her brother, did not even know about this. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, it is FB official for what it's worth. Uh, and then you can follow me on all social media platforms at Cyborg Bebop. Tomorrow is Takeover Portland. Uh, so uh, talk to me about that because that's probably be good as shit. Yeah, when they hear this, yep. it'll, it won't be tomorrow. No, they're, they're re-airing it on Tuesday. Oh, yeah, yeah. On the network, right, where they re- yeah. where you can just watch it on demand? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, check out Kale Ward at Kale Ward, KaleWard.com. Buy the books. They're good. <laughs> Tyler bought them. Toto and Toe. Toto and Toe. That. Uh, and as for me. <laughs> gone Global. Uh, gone Global, yes. Gone Jess. Global. Jess. Jess. Jess is great. Yes. Jess. Jess is awesome. You should check Jess. out Gone Global. Yeah. Great editor. <laughs> yeah. Great person. Great person. Uh, Big fans. <laughs> That's not a joke. We are big fans. No, it's not. She's genuinely yeah, great. Absolutely. Um, I have to cover my bases because Kale fully. <laughs> he's, he's so mad right now. I bet it. He's no, not getting no, no, any no. sloppy toppy. Thank <laughs> <laughs> God. I Guys, hope I hope you know I have I have this. a D and D session with Kale and Jess tomorrow. So <laughs> enjoy, enjoy. Uh, I can't wait to put uh, Kale's character in positions where he has to deal with uh, his religion. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about Mystique and um, Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch, uh, Tyler's uh, long lost sister, and also to Hit celebrate Jean Grey Day. And with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Oh, I want to get sloppy toppy too, eh? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>